1: Get your quote today at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust progressive progressive casualty insurance company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law
2: sports radio, 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly filling in for big daddy Graham on a Tuesday morning, a ton of things we need to get to throughout the course of the show tonight, a good night in Philadelphia sports as the Sixers win another frustrating a uh, few minutes to start the fourth quarter I'll say that the bench just uh, completely letting Chicago without Zach Levine without Nick Vucevic back in this game making the starters come back in um, was just very frustrating but the Sixers do get the win when they're back-to-back they're off tonight they'll be back in action on Wednesday
3: um, what do you got Mike I thought it was coming. I thought we were gonna get a record-breaking, uh, earliest mention ever of you bashing Mike Scott. Uh well,
2: he's part of it. Right? I mean,
3: yeah, you didn't directly though. You, but I'm I tired. I'm tired of all those guys on the
2: bench. I'm. But uh, first of all, I mean, it, Shake Milton's been so disappointed. He yeah. He's just not good. Well, like, he's just not good. his attitude
3: is like is bleep. He's
2: out of control every time he goes to the basket. Like I, whatever he did last year for that. You know, two weeks stretch was a complete mirage. He's just not very good. Um, and, and I mean, you know, how I feel about. Him. I don't need to rip Mike Scott again. He's just he's just not an NBA player. He's yeah. not. I thought it was coming. Uh, and I, I will say, in regards to Dwight, I have enjoyed Dwight for a lot of this year, but it's getting it's getting tiresome at this point. The 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 there's one play in this game where he's complaining to the ref. Well, there's a loose ball literally right behind him that he could have just picked up the ball and he's too busy complaining to the ref. That that three-point shot uh, in the fourth that he fouled a guy on as the shot clock's expiring, that kind of started this whole Chicago run. Um, so it, it just frustrated me, that, that first few minutes of the fourth quarter. But thankfully, Joel Embiid, uh, Tobias Harris, who played really well tonight, Ben Simmons, they come back in. They're able to shut the door, and the Sixers get the victory. Brooklyn, Milwaukee, once again tonight. Um, so... Uh, we'll have our, our Giannis Antetokounmpo jerseys on tonight, rooting for the Milwaukee Bucks to hopefully give the Sixers a little bit of breathing room. And I was predominantly watching the Sixers on when on a Monday night. I'll get to that a little later on. And my beef with NBC Sports Philadelphia. So that's coming up a little later on in the show. Uh, but the Phillies win. Gutty performance from Hector Narris, really. I mean, in the ninth inning... Um, some good at bats by the Milwaukee Brewers really, you know, keeping that game alive, but the Hector's credit, he hung in there 40 pitches for Hector in the ninth, but gets it done, gets the save in a game. The Phillies really needed to win. Uh, we'll get to that a little later on. Now praise, uh, Joe Girardi for what he did. I mean, it's good. I mean, when is Hector going to be available to pitch it? Tonight was Monday. I think he's out of commission till Saturday. I, in all honesty, though, he's probably out for the, like until Thursday. Like, there's no way he's pitching either the next two days. Um, but Hector, a good performance. Vinny Velasquez, a good performance, and a colorful post-game
3: interview with uh, Scott Fransky. So we will get to that um, a, a little later on. I thought Brogdon was fine too. He just just really unfortunate timing with when that uh, that rainstorm came. Well, the, the guys brought up uh, you know something
2: interesting. During the uh, during the broadcast, Franski in LA, and I tonight is not the night, and I'm not ripping Joe Girardi here. I'm just asking you, as the baseball guy, Mike, the question. Um, they were questioning Joe's logic going to Coonrod for the seventh and Brogden in the eighth. Uh, with where the or, where the Brewers were in the order, that the Phillies maybe should have gone the other way: Brogdon first, Coonrod in the eighth, then maybe you don't have Hector coming in for a five out save. I wonder
3: if they. Uh, maybe they, they, had, they kind of wondered if like Coonrod looked so good they'd keep him for the eighth too, which he did, but they they didn't going to Brogdon anyway. Yeah. I don't know. So, uh, you know, just, just uh, something to throw out there.
2: But in general, Phillies play a clean game on Monday night. They're able to get the victory uh, to start this uh, four-game set, I believe, against the Brew Crew this week. So we'll talk about that a little later on. We will not be talking about the Flyers' victory. Uh, The Flyers won. Um, If you're a Flyers fan, I hope you enjoyed it. But their season is over, um, and, uh, you know, I I don't really care that the Flyers won after their, you know, six weeks of incompetence. So we will not be discussing that anymore on the show tonight. They get their mention now, and that is the only Flyers discussion we will have throughout the course of the show. Uh, But I do want to get more into the Eagles here as – we didn't talk as much draft as I assumed we would last night, considering the uh, you know the the storylines and everything come out of that Phillies Mets Sunday night game. But the Eagles' draft um, is complete—a draft that we had talked about a lot leading up to it, as far as one the Eagles need to knock out of the park. And on this show. I have been in the minority, and I I would say Mike Angelina has joined me there as well, um, in the minority as people who believe in Howie Roseman. And what, what do you got? Curious phrasing there. What do you mean? What do you mean I joined you? well i am sorry, I didn't mean you joy i i just meant you know. you were wavering earlier so no i stayed steady i was never wavering i was i I've, uh, I've always i okay. we've both always been how he i was. heard you ripping him this year well i mean i i rip, i was ripping the team how could you <laughs> not rip the team in the midst of a four eleven in one year i mean he's he's he does deserve a level of blame i mean you you can't argue with that right
3: I didn't think Howie was the quarterback this year.
2: No, but, I, no, I, trust uh, me. Uh, yeah, this I, is such a. I agree. And I'm getting, I'm getting to all that. But, um, Howie has been a person, an executive who has been under a lot of fire. And some of it, as I see it, maybe not Mike, but I see it as some of it is deserved. Some of it. But much of it, I'd say the majority of it has been unfair. Um, Have mistakes been made by Howie Roseman in the Eagles' front office? Sure, they have. Of course they have. Um, But there have been a lot of other things. There were a lot of other things that contributed to this team having the issues that they had last year. Number one, is Mike astutely brought up already, the quarterback. And Mike in South Philly asked me last night, um, do I enjoy consistently saying, referring to Carson Wentz as the worst quarterback in the league, I have – yeah, I do enjoy doing that, and I will continue to do it. I mean, I don't know what organization withstands that kind of play by a guy who was the worst quarterback in the league last year. Um, He, I think, is the number one culprit for what happened in 2020. You know, it's context that is needed. The injuries on this team, the coaching, which – I was a Doug Peterson fan. I like Doug Peterson. I didn't think Doug Peterson necessarily deserved to be fired, but I don't think he did a tremendous job last year. I don't think the offense was extremely creative. I don't think, um, you know, the changes that needed to be made were made early enough. And that played into it as well. COVID, the offseason, the lack of practice time, all of these things conspired to result in the Eagles having the type of season that they ended up having. A lot of things played in to that team struggling the way that they did. But the theme was to just blame Howie Roseman. I actually see it very similar to what it was like. You know, we talk about Gabe Kapler a lot on this show, um, you know, for fun. We like the Gabe check-ins, but, you know, Howie kind of became what Gabe was, at the end of 2019, where it's just anything that goes wrong, blame Howie. You know, blame Howie Roseman for everything that goes wrong with this organization when that just really wasn't true when you look deeper into it and you look at the real history of Howie Roseman. He has done much more, much more good than bad as an executive and as the general manager leading this franchise. And when you measure him, Up against other executives. He's definitely in the top half. And I would say that is mildly put. I mean, I think he's pretty clearly, when you look at his his history, I think he's pretty clearly a, a top 10 general manager. When you look at the entirety of his job, not just the drafts, as people want to focus on, but salary cap management, trades, all of these things, he has been a very successful executive over his tenure with the Philadelphia Eagles. But what he has done this offseason is objectively tremendous. Like, I don't see it any other way, and I don't know how anybody else can see it any other way if you're looking at this objectively without bias playing into it. There you go. uh, And, you know, Dave Spadaro is... One of, one of one of Howie's biggest supporters, um, you know, from the Carson Wentz trade to the salary cap situation to the trades in the draft to the trade to the draft itself, this has been a very good offseason for the Philadelphia Eagles at a time when they needed it very badly. You know, do people have issues with some of the picks that were made? here and there, Landon Dickerson, the injuries. Is that a concern moving forward? Sure. And, you know, any draft, you're going to come out of it, and people are going to have certain issues. They'd rather have this guy and and these kind of things. But there are no glaring issues coming out of this draft like there have been in the past, like last year, when the Eagles select a guy like Jalen Rager over Justin Jefferson. You know, that was a pick that immediately – was um, criticized. The Jalen Hurts pick. Like, last year was a draft that immediately people had issues with. And if you have small issues with this one, uh, that's fine. But in general, this is a draft that has garnered positive reaction. Not just from fans. Not just from some in the local media, but nationally. This is a draft that is getting a ton of positive reaction. I saw um the athletic Dane Brugler is like their big draft guy. He ranked the Eagles as having the top draft of anybody in the NFL this year. And that's the kind of that's the kind of reaction, the type of praise the Eagles have gotten from this draft. And I think that is a pretty uh logical thing considering what the Eagles did, how they did it While getting picks for next year, getting a future first-round pick with the players they came away with, this was certainly a successful draft, and this has been a successful offseason at a time the Eagles desperately needed. And the question that I have tonight for the audience, mainly for the misguided, I mean, this one is, you know, more than anything, for the Howie haters out there. For the, do the misguided
3: know they're misguided, though?
2: They don't. I mean, you know, you, you have some people who... I, I, You know, I like Gus in Allentown. I do. I, I, I actually enjoy speaking with Gus. But let's face it. Gus is misguided, and he doesn't really know it. I mean... Gus, Gus is still in love with Chip Kelly, what, what can you say about that?
3: I had a nice conversation with Gus uh, earlier tonight. Oh, did you? Would you? Would you and Gus? Talk well, about? he he actually had a message for you. I, actually, a told you, for I me? actually totally blanked to tell you this. This is good timing. He had a message for me. He did. What was his message? Howie Roseman is spoken for. Oh, you, you need to realize that. Oh well, th- well this is the thing. I mean, Gus is. It's a rough.
2: It's a rough few days for Gus. I mean, Howie is making him look like a fool. And you know it. wouldn't be the first time Gus has looked like a fool. I mean, Gus, you know, looks like a fool quite often. Um, and you know that that's a shame. But but that's okay. Somebody's gotta. Somebody's got to. Gus knows his hoops, though. Yeah, no, no Gus, Gus. knows his hoops. He's, he he digs in on his stances a little too much. Where he'll never be critical of of anything with the Sixers. But um, you know, this is for the Gusses and for the you know Mike and King of Prussia's. And for the Jan Janssens out there, all of you who are misguided and have dug in on this stance that Howie Roseman is incompetent, I have a question. I really do. Has this offseason given you confidence in Howie Roseman running this team as we move forward? Because all we heard the last few months was how doomed – this organization was with Howie Roseman at the helm. That as long as Jeffrey Lurie would not get rid of Howie, that he as long as he was letting Howie call the shots in the front office, that the Eagles' situation was doomed to fail. And... Am I guaranteeing you that this team is going to make the playoffs this year? Am I guaranteeing you that they are going to be Super Bowl contenders in the next two years? No, of course not. You can't guarantee that, but I think it's obvious at this point that this is an organization that is moving in the right direction. When you look at the moves that they have made this offseason, when you look at the way they have set themselves up moving forward here, this is an organization that is in a very good position. And I want to know where you stand on Howie Roseman right now. And if you're still down on him, I would truly love to hear. I'd love to know why. Like, I really would love to know why. As Howie has been blamed for everything that has gone wrong by some fans, by some hosts on this station – um, I only say John's name because I know John has a John has a um, John can take it so to speak. You know, John has a uh, a thicker skin where you know uh, you can mess around yes. with John on these. Yes. Um, but you know some hosts or, or producers, uh, for that matter, don't have that same uh level of of thick skin, and therefore you can't mention their names or else they might not talk to you for a month. But so be it. Um, we move on. Um, but I want to know where you are on Howie Roseman right now and whether you have come around to the point where you feel that Howie Roseman is somebody you can be confident in running this organization moving forward. And whether you have changed your opinion at all in terms of his impact on what happened with the Eagles last season because I look at last season and I think there were a lot of things that came together to make that uh, that team go the way it did and in my mind Howie Roseman was one of the was was one of the one of the least impactful people on that when you look at Carson Wentz you look at the coaching staff, you look at how COVID affected things, and it's not an excuse, but it does have an impact. It is context that needs to be added here. Are you now confident in Howie Roseman moving forward running this team? It's why I was confident in this team. It's why I did uh, have optimism that they would get this thing right. Because Howie's history is one of success. His history is... Is one of of competence and uh, an executive who knows how to make the best of some bad situations, even when he, you know, is partially responsible for getting the team into those situations. But I want to know whether this draft, whether this off season, has raised your confidence level in Howie Roseman. Uh, that's where we're going to start tonight. Two one five five nine two nine four nine four. If you want to get in, two one five. Five nine two nine four nine four. I always have. But I'm wondering whether uh, the minds of the Howie haters specifically, Howie haters, I'm talking to you, has this offseason and the draft and the acquisition of Devontae Smith, that's something we'll get into more tonight, has it changed your opinion of Howie Roseman as the general manager of this team at all? And do you now have more confidence in him running the show moving forward? uh because he's the guy and I don't see that changing anytime soon. Two one five five nine two nine four nine four. 592 9494 if you want to get in. Um I see our draft expert Tony on the line. Tony, we'll get to you when we get back. We need Tony's appraisal of uh some more of the Eagles picks here. So we'll talk to Tony when we get back. And also, I want to get to the you know the, the idea of dysfunction within the Eagles organization, which that's something we talked about a lot uh, this off season and why I think it's been a little overblown. 215-592-9494. If you want to get in, I'm Tom Kelly, in for Big Daddy Graham, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly, in for Big Daddy Graham. If you want to get in, 215-592-9494. My son was born nine weeks ago today. Um, just It's it's just something that... that Came to my mind. People always talk about the time goes so fast when your kids are born. I feel like the exact opposite. Like I feel like it's been it's been it's been a long nine weeks. Like uh, I it, it's this parenting thing's pretty hard, Mike. I don't know if you. I mean, you're. You, I know you're not I'm a not parent. parent. Yeah. Um. You know, and uh, I mean, may, maybe you will be some point in the near future who knows i don't know i don't think so because yeah <laughs> not trying to put you on the spot there or anything but um yeah i do, like i don't I, I don't know i don't think it it does go that fast i mean it's a you know it's it's tough i don't know
3: uh just i think throwing maybe, that out there could be wrong i think maybe they mean it for like once the kid's like 18 and they're they're like ah oh, I think they mean like maybe like years ten through eighteen were fast
2: yeah I mean not to say that I'm not enjoying it I am and it's it's nice now because now he's starting to like smile more and interact a little bit like we got some good pictures of him the other day and is uh we got him in uh, an Eagles onesie nice. uh, a Kelly Green a Kelly Green one mm. that's kind of bad. I don't know. Maybe I'll shoot you a couple pictures during the break, Mike. Like remember Harper when that you know if you're if you're pleasing me, <laughs> yeah, tonight, maybe I'll send you a picture. When mind. he says Middleton, I'll send you a picture so, like, of crew. Love the kids. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what's the deal with Harper? By the way, is he is this another? Uh, this is Bryce Harper's third injury this year. Now, I mean, I guess the face thing is kind of fluky,
3: but right. um, Hopefully, this isn't Nielston. Is the wrist thing related to the hand? Th- is it from when he tried to intercept the ball? I don't From hitting his. I you know what? That's a good kind of, point. T- it kind of aligned.
2: Yeah, because he did put his hand up there um, I mean, at that point. Hunting. Yeah, so I- I'm not sure, but uh, apparently Girardi said that he does not expect Bryce to go to the IL. But now, I mean, you're basically looking at what's been the equivalent of an IL stint. He misses a couple days after getting hit in the face. Now he's going to miss a few more days. Um, you know, it's probably going to add up to all like ten games or something like that. So. I don't know, a little concerning with Bryce Harper missing all this
3: time. Right. There's uh, a weird report, too, on the the game today. They said um, the wrist was sore, but they don't believe he hurt it more on the swing. When I mean, it looked like it was pretty obvious he did kind of re-aggravate it. Yeah, he, probably so shouldn't have stayed in the game. Yeah, yeah, so much to the point where he didn't even trust himself swinging. He bunted with two, with one and two strikes. Yeah. I mean, Bryce does like the – he seems to like to bunt a lot. Yeah.
2: Um, But, yeah, I, I – I, don't don't get that, but hopefully hope, hopefully he's okay. Uh, 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. 215-592-9494. talking about the Eagles, and whether you have changed your mind on Howie Roseman or, or, you know, even if you were on the fence about Howie, do you have confidence in him moving forward? Because we we've been saying this on this show for a while, and I know we have been – one of the only ones, I think the Howie supporters at the station uh now well, now everybody's gonna try to jump back on the bandwagon, but you know, I'd say it was it was us it was the camera has has been pretty steadfastly a Howie because the camera understood the the Wentz angle of all this yeah, and he was pretty it, pretty quickly on that, yeah, right, and I think it's really that's really what it comes down to like people think I hate Carson Wentz. and no, i do. i I mean I do, but um. A lot of it is, like, if you're a pro Howie person, you understand the level of destruction Wentz did. And I'd say the people that understand that are us,
3: the camera, and Jillio. I think that's probably it. Nobody else, I think, is allowed to jump back on at this point. And, like, to me, it's, it's, like, Howie had to give him that contract because, like, the owner obviously wanted the contract. So, you know, can't fault Howie for... The, the contract going bad. It just, you know, it's just part of Wentz blowing up. Right, and I think a lot of the things,
2: when you look at the last couple of years, it's pretty clear that these were a lot of Jeffrey Lurie-led decisions. Like, I don't think Howie Roseman was the one who decided to bring Jason Peters back year after year after year when Jason Peters has said Jeffrey Lurie's like his best friend, which, by the way, that's a little
3: odd, isn't it? It is. Uh, it's <laughs> it's an I mean, odd Roseman drafted two replacements for him.
2: Yeah. So... um are you more confident in Howie Roseman moving forward after this draft in this offseason? Because as far as I see it, he has knocked it out of the park. Um, and, you know, but as Gus said, Howie is spoken for. So we will. So we will keep, you know, our 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 our. Relationship, just a friendship. So, thank you, Gus. Two one five five nine two nine four nine four. Let's go to uh our buddy Tony, draft expert Tony. What's up, Tony? Hey,
4: what's up? What's up, TK? How you doing?
5: How you doing,
2: man? Everything is
5: okay. I want to say congratulations on your newborn, man. I know it's tough. Thanks, man. You know, but it's a it's a period of you know you got to adjust. You know. Oh yeah, That's it's good. good. No, it it's good. It's deep going deep well, deep.
2: man. It just. It just feels like it feels like longer than nine weeks that we had.
5: Them yeah, now. I can understand. Y'all got to take shifts. You and your wife taking shifts.
2: Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I I sleep, uh, you know, part of the day. Obviously doing this shift, but um, yeah. yeah, I'll take them in the morning and stuff. So yeah, it's, it bless,
5: works man. Out. Things are going to be okay. Oh and, yeah, oh um,
2: yeah. I, no, no, I'm not panicking. Know, yeah,
5: definitely. Um, I want to tell you, man. I'm really disappointed in the Flyers. They got to let a lot of them defensemen go um, to the Seattle team. Um, but they, I mean, I don't understand why you were protecting any of these defensemen. None of them are good. Not Myers. Not especially not Ghost. ghosts, you know. And they got all these guys, man. Bring up Cam York and and Bobby Brain. You've been on that and, Cam um, York
2: train for a while, there, Tony.
5: Well, he graduated, didn't he? Uh,
2: yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yes, he did. We okay, checked that. Well, yeah, we checked on that.
5: You You need to trade who you can trade. I mean, even if you got to move Coakney and Giroux, some of these guys are not doing it, man. You got to bring in some guys that can skate and score. And I believe you can get rid of some of these people on his roster. But I don't want to dwell on that too much. I'm happy for the Sixers, Please. and I want to talk about these other draft picks. Now, um, that kid Zach McPherson looks good. He's quick and he got long arms. So he, a lot of classes I'm seeing, he's breaking up. So he looks like he got some speed. Now. I don't like the board how he had, but Kenneth of Gainwell can play. He's quick and he and he's a bursty back. And the the later picks, Marlin to Paluto. Yeah, to... that guy is big and he's fast and he's vicious on a hit. Well, it okay, sounds like got... you
2: like these guys, Tony.
5: Yeah, but let me let me say this: those weren't my picks. You had a lot of people sitting there that Howie didn't pick, especially my man Paris Ford from Pittsburgh. They could have got him in a later round, and and they they just ignored him. This guy, Taron Jackson, looks like a linebacker, but he's quick, and he's like an edge that they can put a defensive end. He looks like he means business. But as far as his body and weight, he's fast like a linebacker, but I guess you can line him up at end. Okay, now Jacoby Stevens, that's my man, that's my guy. Um, the reason why he yeah you slipped, were a fan
2: of him pre-draft, I remember
5: Yeah, the reason why he slipped is because he sat out all year and he got fat and 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 everybody um, turned away from him. He was supposed to be a first round pick. This guy can play um safety or linebacker. Well, it looks like it looks like
2: they are going to move him to linebacker, Tony. It looks like that's the
5: Eagles plan for him. They better because he's too he he's too big. They, he got to lose some weight, and then he can become a hybrid like he was at LSU. Now this guy Patrick Johnson. I'm gonna tell you, I had Milton Williams as a sleeper and Patrick Johnson as a sleeper. I didn't think they would get Tyrone Jackson, but they took a chance on him. So I had two of those sleepers, and I just wanted to say some of these undrafted free agents. I'm not really feeling them. The quarterback Jamie Newman. I mean, I'm not saying nothing. Trayvon Grimes, wide receiver out of Florida, he might make the team. Now, and this last comment is by for a defensive end out of Iowa State named Jaquan Belly. That guy can bring it. So, as far as the undrafted free agents, they're probably going to keep Newman. Why? I don't know. But Jaquan no. Belly and Trayvon Grimes is the only two I like.
2: Okay. Well, I appreciate it, Tony. Thanks for yeah, chiming no in. Yeah, My t- pleasure. T- take, take it care. easy. Have a good one, man. And, yeah, I mean – Uh, the undrafted free agents, I mean, you're taking, you're taking lottery tickets, essentially like very rarely will you get a guy from that group that will immediately come in and make an impact. That's why I mean, I still think the Corey Clement thing is so just, just odd. The fact that he comes in as an undrafted free agent is really good in 2017. And then the last three years, I mean, he just doesn't look like an NFL player. And, um, I don't know if, if, he got too overconfident after having that success early on in his career um but uh you know it, it's it's been odd the the Corey Clement NFL
3: career felt like he got injuries and just never really got past them
2: yeah he got yeah he was hurt early in 18 um i don't think he even played did he even play in
3: 18 he played 11 games in 18. He played 4 oh, in he? he played 4 and 19.
2: Right. 4 in 19. I remember he got banged up in the Atlanta game and then the Jets game I think he got hurt for the rest of the season. Um but yeah, I mean, you're with those undrafted free agents, you're basically taking lottery tickets and if I mean, if if two of those guys make the team, um you've done really well for yourself. You're you're basically, I think when you sign guys like that, you're looking for guys who you want to add to the practice squad. Two one five five nine two. 592. 9494 if you want to get in two one five five nine two nine four nine four. 9494 but talking about howie Rosen, and whether your confidence in Howie has increased following this offseason and this draft which I think have been very positive developments for the Eagles in how they project moving forward and one of the stories of this offseason and something that I think has been overblown to a degree has been the idea of of dysfunction. There's this dysfunction running rampant within the Eagles organization. Um, and that's not to contradict the things that have been reported, because I don't think the things that have been reported are untrue. Like, the things that Jeff McClain reported, the things the guys from The Athletic reported, like, I believe 100% all of this stuff. The only thing is, like, I, I kind of don't think all that stuff is all that unusual. Like, the fact that Doug Peterson is having meetings with Jeffrey Lurie Tuesdays after games, like, I don't think that's unusual for an owner to want to talk to the head coach every week. And th- the reporting is that the these meetings weren't contentious by any stretch, at least how Jeffrey Lurie saw them. Um, and I don't believe that this dysfunction – is as rampant and as negative as we have perceived it to be. And I'll go all the way back to, you know, I guess it was a couple months ago when Brandon Graham and Jason Kelsey are agreeing to return. And it's like, if this organization is really that lost, if Howie Rosen's really this bad and the front office is really this awful, then why are two guys like that who could go somewhere else, be productive in the final years of their careers, why would they come back to Philadelphia and play for the Eagles willingly if things here are, are as bad as we perceive them to be? And I just don't think they would. And you could say, you know, this is where they're rooted, this is where their families are, um, you know, their financial and personal uh, kind of incentives for them to stay – And I don't think that's completely untrue, but let's face it. I mean, I don't think either of these guys would basically be playing for nothing somewhere else. They're still productive players. They'd be getting paid similar money elsewhere. And a guy like Jason Kelsey, he had a very appealing option. Like, I absolutely think Kansas City, who needed help on the offensive line, if Jason Kelsey wanted to go there, play for Andy Reid, play play with his brother Travis, and try to win a Super Bowl. You know, if he wanted to do that, I think that opportunity was there for him, yet he elected to stay here with the Philadelphia Eagles. And, you know, part of the reporting on the dysfunction and our idea of this, the dysfunction had to do with the communication with the organization and how these org- how these different departments and everything got along. And that was a big storyline leading up to this draft. And um, listening to the post-draft press conference, the Eagles didn't seem to have many issues in that regard. And here is uh, how he's... Uh, I don't know his official title, Andy Weidel. Um, he's basically Howie's right-hand man, whatever Joe Douglas's former role used to be. Uh, director of personnel? Director yeah. of player personnel. I think that's it. Um, but here was Andy Weidel on how he felt the communication was during this year's draft process.
6: Well, the main difference is that we're together this year, and we're in the room together, and, and you can't replace that dynamic. And we all have a voice, and Howie does a great job listening to everybody. And I think that's, that's the key is in my role, too, is just being a good listener. Listen to scouts, listen to coaches, and, and the conversations and communications that we have daily um, are outstanding, and uh, it's key you know we had with this draft class here the nine guys that we took six of our nine picks are team captains you know six of the six of the nine guys were at the senior bowl and uh, just the constant communication from we were in mobile you know daily talking about the players down there who was performing well interviews and just you got to stay on top of it and uh, i think i think the one thing i've learned and, and i learned this a long time ago uh being around ozzy Newsom is be a good listener you know be a good listener listen to your scouts and communicate, and uh, I think we, we did an outstanding job of that. I really felt through this whole process in these last three days. And, uh, you know, I believe that to be true, and one thing that Andy Weidel mentions
2: in, the, in there is the idea of everybody being together, because you don't want to use it as an excuse, because everybody was dealing with this last year, and everybody was dealing with it going into the season, but I absolutely believe that, The pandemic and the rules affected the Eagles more than they affected some other teams. And there's certainly criticism that goes along with that as well. Like, the Eagles weren't as adaptable as some other teams were. And it was a situation that was unique. It was a situation nobody had ever dealt with. They were dealing with on the fly. And they didn't handle it as well as some other teams did, obviously. But I do think there is a benefit to being in the same room with people. And being able to have those conversations, and it probably did lead to some of the kind of draft disconnect that took place last year. And when you look at the dysfunction and the well the reported dysfunction and kind of the perceived dysfunction because I think we have taken these stories and we have made them into bigger things than they actually are in many regards. but I don't think that a lot of the stuff that goes on with the Eagles is unusual. And the history has shown us that this is a well-run organization. And it's why I've had confidence throughout this offseason that they would recognize the mistakes that they made and correct them because in the past, they always have. Jeffrey Lurie, say what you want about him, and I've had my issues with Jeffrey Lurie over the last couple months and the last couple years, but... One thing Jeffrey Laurie has shown time and time again is when his organization is at a crossroads and he needs to recognize errors that have been made, make significant changes. He will make significant changes, whether it's on the personnel side, whether it's in the front office, whether it's philosophically within the organization like they've done this year, looking at things more long term than they did short term. Jeffrey Lurie has always done that in the past, and it's why I had had confidence that he would do that again. And Howie Roseman has done the same as well. Where when he came back into power after 2015, he had to recognize the things that he had done wrong before Chip Kelly made his power play and took over the organization. And he did that. And the reason why I have been so confident in both these guys, and turning this thing around, is because I truly believe their hearts are in the right place. Like, it's funny when people talk about Howie, specifically, and Howie wants all the credit, Howie wants to be the smartest guy in the room, you know, Howie wants to want, wants to uh, outsmart everybody. Like, I don't think that's true. I think with Howie Roseman and Jeffrey Lurie, in the end, they both want what's best for the football team. And they might do the wrong things at times going about it, but I truly think their hearts are in the right place. And with Jeffrey Lurie and the reporting about Lurie being too involved in draft stuff and the meetings with Doug, like I don't think this came from Jeffrey Lurie wanting to run rampant through the organization. I think this came from Jeffrey Lurie trying to figure out how to fix, their, how to fix the problems that they had. And they made mistakes in that regard. But I never think they were out of that they came from a negative place. I think they came from a positive place and the execution wasn't what it needed to be. But here's more from Howie on that, uh, talking about um this process and everything this organization does ultimately being about what's best for the team.
7: And I think Jeff, you know, you got a lot of constituents, you know. You're you're talking about we got we got a scouting staff, we got a coaching staff, um, you know we got a medical staff uh, as well that every, everyone's weighing in with all that information so you know not every decision is just clear-cut you know you're trying to balance all of those factors together to make good decisions and um, you know it's 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 not a process where um, everyone necessarily is going to be perfect in, in it because not everyone has this, all the same information and you know Andy and I talk about that a lot you know like there are decisions that you make. Uh, I may love a player, but if it doesn't fit coach's vision, that's not going to work. It's not going to be a successful process, you know. And so we talk a lot about about that and uh, about making the best decision for the team, not the best decision for just coach or just myself or Andy, but also weighing the fact that you know maybe there's a medical issue that um, doesn't allow this guy to have a long career. Now is that the best decision for the long term interests of the organization? So. Um, you know, I think those are all the things we weigh. I mean, it's, it's the same thing tonight. You know, yeah. we made a trade for a future pick. Um, and so when you do that now, you know, you're missing on a couple of players in this draft and your scouts work all year to get those picks. And, you know, there's a little bit like, I, I want to pick tonight, you know, but you try to make decisions that are in the best interest of the football team. And um, these jobs, you know, that we have these responsibilities for a reason and, and they're not to make everyone necessarily happy. They're to, what, to do what's right for the team. And that's what it's about. It's about doing what's right for the team, always.
2: And that's truly the way I think they look at it. And when I look at this offseason, it reminds me so much of 2016 and how the Eagles handled things leading into that offseason. Where you have a new coach, you really got to reboot the franchise. Coming off what was a disastrous year. Like 2015, the Eagles ended with a 7-9 and record. But let's face it, that was a, that was a bad football team. That was not a true seven-win team. They racked up a couple wins late. They, they won that game against a bad Buffalo team at home. Um, they had that really fluky win in New England, which is still like the most... Uh, the Eagles were like, I think, like 17-point underdogs or something like that in that game. Uh, when the Eagles won that, that game in New England, um, that was like the flukiest win of all time. Like, that season in 2015 was so reminiscent... To 2020, And I look at this offseason being so similar to that, and I think it can yield similar results uh, in terms of the immediate, the immediate turnaround. And here's Howie, uh, you know, talking about this not being approached as a rebuild.
7: No, we're never going to call this a rebuild. You know, we want to retool. We want to get good as quickly as possible. You know, that's our goal. We've seen it happen. Uh, after Coach Reed left, uh, we we had a situation where there was a lot of the same conversation, and we won 20 games the next two years. And then Coach Kelly left, and everyone was saying the same thing. It was going to take us a long time. And um, within after one year, we we were back in the playoffs and competing for a championship. So. You know, I'm not promising that amount of time on either of these things, but I, I promise we're going to do everything we can as quickly as we can to get this point in the right direction and have fun again.
2: Of course not. You can't guarantee anything that it will yield the same results as quickly as those times did. Uh, but this is an organization under Laurie and Howie that has shown the ability to turn things around, turn things around quickly. And when I see what they've done this offseason, they have all the ingredients to do that again. The draft was a similar approach 2016, where it was get back to what makes us successful. Get the guy we want in the first round. 2016, that was Wentz. 2020, Devontae Smith. Then build through the lines. Get good value. Um, you know, create salary cap flexibility for years to come. Get draft picks where, you know, this is different from 2016, but give yourself flexibility down the line. And we've seen Howie and Jeffrey do this before, and that's why I have confidence that they're going to be able to do it again. They'll get this thing turned around, and they'll get it turned around quicker than um, I think a lot of people believe. Two, one, five, five, nine, two, nine, four, nine, four. But uh, wanting to know if you have more confidence in Howie Roseman following this offseason and draft, um, because I mean, they've knocked it out of the park. It's been a tremendous offseason so far and this team is in a very good spot moving forward. So talking about that, when we get back, though, I do have a social media gripe for you, and we will uh, talk a little Sixers as they get a big win over the Bulls in Chicago. Kind of a frustrating win, but the Sixers get it done, get one step closer to securing that ever-so-important top seed in the East. We'll do that coming back. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP, I'm Tom Kelly, in for Big Daddy Graham. I'm wondering, we're going to talk some Sixers in a minute here, but I'm wondering if anybody caught this broadcast of the Warriors-Pelicans game. I believe they they had one broadcast on ESPN and another broadcast on ESPN2 that was supposed to be, like, Marvel Cinematic Universe-infused.
3: Did you see any of this, Mike? Uh, I knew it was happening because I, yeah, you know, I watch the jump every day. And you watch the jump every day? Do you like, like
2: record the jump?
3: No, like oh. I, it's usually coming on like right around the time I'm waking up, and it's just kind of on in the background. Okay, so I kind of like ease into it. That or I think it's Jalen or Jacoby, which isn't a great show. But um, wow, Rachel a swipe des- at Jalen and Jacoby there. Rachel <laughs> Nichols decided to rank her five no. favorite uh, Avengers, and it's like, what are we doing? And then obviously they teed it up. They brought in this guy just broke everything down and it was a little mush. Do you know what
2: the guy's name? Was the guy an actor? I believe they had Anthony Mackie who plays the Falcon. I no, guess he's Captain it's, America it's, now. The reason,
3: on- um, the reason I mentioned his name is because I'm blank. It's the former Ringer guy. He used to be on the Ringer on the NBA desktop –
2: Oh, Jason
3: Concepcion! Jason Concepcion. I, I'm
2: a big fan of his because he used to do the uh, the binge mode Game of Thrones podcast. Right, so I'm actually Mallory? a big fan of that guy. Right. Yeah, yes, They're, they that that was a tremendous podcast. If you're a Game of Thrones fan, listen to that podcast because they they are very knowledgeable. Did you model yours after theirs? No, we we did. Our ours was completely its own thing. Yeah, um, so. Uh, I, I I do miss doing our podcast, but I yeah I I didn't know if if anybody
3: saw this broadcast.
2: Let me know because this game's on right now. I was, I was hoping they'd show that broadcast so I get to watch it right now.
3: But well, uh, did what was it? For? Is it kind of like the
2: Nickelodeon thing with, with I football? think I think it's a similar thing. Like the one Zion shot a shot a three, and they're like they had like smoke trailing the ball, but it was an air ball.
3: So. Uh, yeah, I, I don't, I, I didn't get a chance um, to catch any of You know of that. who probably caught it? Do you remember the guy last week that, uh, called a rip me for saying that, like, Batman's a, a comic book? Um. Character. You were, like, throwing movies at right, me. Right, yes, like, yes, he, yes. He's like, how dare he's, yeah, that guy probably caught it. You're, well, B- Batman's not a Marvel character, Mike. I but mean. it's, like, the same genre, right? It's a comic book guy. Yeah, but, like, it's superhero- but it's a different, but it's a like, different thing. Yeah. It's a different universe. But it's just, it's. I assume though, if you're if you're attracted to one kind of universe, you're into the other one. Okay, yeah, that's fair. That's, that's kind of where I was going. Sorry, I'm not not trying to jump on you, but that's fair. Um, but if anybody saw
2: that, uh, you're welcome to chime in two one five five nine two nine four nine four. I did have a social media gripe of the day that I wanted to get to here, and this is, um, you know, uh, another one that is like one of these things that people have jumped onto where. If they they tweet something, if somebody tweets something that they deem is a good tweet, that their own thing is a good tweet, they will put either before it or after that, please clap. Have you seen that? You're not on social media, so you probably haven't seen it. It's probably all over uh, Fritz's timeline, right? (laughs) Probably. But it's like um, they'll tweet something that they think is a a, a witty tweet, and it's usually not. Because if you tweet, please clap. You know, in response to your own
3: tweet, then you're—that's kind of a, a douchey move, I think. It's not kind of. It is, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyone uh, local that you can identify that did it? Um, hmm, I mean, not personal. I,
2: I will call out like um, the Sixer social media account is pretty, you know, pretty cringeworthy uh, a lot of the time. Um, so, I, uh, you know, I'll call them out. So I guess I think it may have been them. I'm not sure. Uh, but just in general that that's, that's one, uh, account that comes to mind. And speaking of something along that same vein, uh, did you see this during the NFL draft? Mike, this was great. Where greenie who was anchoring the draft, which I yeah. mean, can we just get some less greenie? Like, do we need greenie on everything all the
3: time? You know what greenie was? Perfectly fine and great at the role he was in with Mike and Mike, and now they're trying to make Greeny like a, a centerpiece character, and that's not Greeny.
2: Well, that was awkward, by the way, when Golick is coming out to announce the Eagles' pick, and Greeny's like introducing him, and like they like hate each other, well, basically. It was, well, it's probably more Golick one way. Golick's right? Probably Gol- like, he, well, yeah, yeah Golick kind of took the high road in the interview. I heard. I think he was on part of my take, and he uh, took the high road, but it's pretty clear that Greeny, you know, stabbed him in the back. Yeah, yeah, Golic wanted to keep going forever, yeah. Yeah, Um, and then Golic, man, professional broadcaster, kind of embarrassing moment, calling Devontae Smith, Devontae Davis. Come on, man. I mean, Golic's supposed to be a little more polished than that. Um, But Greeny, at one point, he called his own observation interesting. He said, I had the interesting observation, which is like, dude, (laughs) you can't, you're not the one who gets to decide if your observation is interesting, okay? Like, we will, if your observation is interesting, we will tell you it's interesting. You don't get to call your own observation interesting. So, that was the gripe I had with Greeny from the draft.
3: I'm seeing some of these please uh, clap. They're bad, aren't they? Um, Yeah, I mean, I just paid off my student loan. Please clap. Yes. We worked out. Please clap. So am I back? Am I uh, – Yeah, it's a good Have
8: it's I good broke gripe. the streak
3: here? It's a good gripe. All right. I, I feel like you had a good one last night too, right? I, f-
2: I forgot. It,
3: <laughs> it can't be that
2: good if we both don't yeah, remember right. what it was. So, um, all right. Well, I'm back. Uh, one one for my last one with my social media gripes. Uh, 215-592-9494. Real quick, I, I wanted to talk a little, bit, a little bit about the Sixers here. They um, beat the Bulls, but a frustrating game in the sense that the Sixers – And the third quarter up 20. And, I mean, it was amazing. In in a matter of, what, two and a half minutes, the lead's down to seven. And it's like, here we go again. Doc has to put Embiid back in the game. Ben Simmons. Tobias Harris. And, I mean, really frustrating that the Sixers bench can't do anything right now. Like, in the end, I don't think it's going to be a huge deal because you're not going to have to play these guys a ton of minutes in the playoffs. But... Like, you should be able to trust your bench to hold a 20-point lead against the Chicago Bulls team with no Zach Levine and no Nikola Vucevic. Like, it it was really frustrating to see that because you need to get rest for these guys down the stretch, and you cannot afford to just sit them. Like, that tells you what happened on Monday night, the fact that Doc Rivers, on the back end of a back-to-back, did not sit Joel Embiid. Did not sit Tobias Harris as has been dealing with a knee issue. Like they need to get this one seat, like, and that's become increasingly obvious to me. As much as I want the Sixers to get rest, they need to get this one seat because their fourth through twelve is not as good as Milwaukee's is. Now, I mean, I don't think that means Sixers won't beat them in a series, but their fourth through twelve guys are not as good as the Bucks' fourth through twelve guys are. Their top three guys are not as good as Brooklyn's top three guys are if Brooklyn is healthy. I don't love the Sixers' chances of going through both those teams in the playoffs. I just don't. But if you're the one seed, and you have home court advantage, and you get one of them coming out of a series with the other, where, I mean, if Brooklyn-Milwaukee on Sunday was any indication, you get one of those teams coming off a seven-game series like that, I mean, they're going to be beat up. And, yeah, I think you could certainly beat one of them in that kind of situation. But I do not like the Sixers' chances if they have to go through both those teams. They need to get this one seed, but they also need to get some rest. And the bench cannot do what they did on Monday night, where – Look at the box score here. I mean, Joel Embiid only had 13 points. He's obviously tired right now. He's obviously dragging. He had to play 33 minutes in this game. Tobias had to play 35. Ben Simmons had to play 33. Seth Curry had to play 35. These guys should not be having to play these kind of minutes against the Bulls team as shorthanded as they were where their best player on the court is Kobe White. Like, it can't happen. And... Uh, Mike, Scott, Mike Scott, minus Scott, 13 and five minutes in this game. Like, that that's pretty awful. Uh, Dwight Howard, he's got to be better. Like, he's got to be better than he was on Monday and than he's been recently. Shake Milton is a, a, a zero right now. He's giving you nothing. And the bench needs to at least be able to be relied on in those kind of situations where you were up against A bad team, down their two best players, you get a huge lead. The starters did what they needed to do. They did what they needed to do to only play, you know, 24 minutes in this game. But the bench blew that lead, made all those guys come back in. And if you're going to get rest down the stretch, you need to win games, and you need to win games convincingly. Because you can't just sit guys at this point. And Doc is pretty much, you know, I think he's sending that message Monday night by not sitting anybody Monday that if they're healthy enough to play, they will play because they understand the importance of getting this one seed. Sixers need more from their bench. Maybe not as much in the playoffs when you can shorten that rotation, but you need to rest these guys so they're equipped to play 40 minutes a night in the playoffs. And to do that, you need to be able. To, the bench needs to be able to take care of these leads when the starters build it up early. Starters did their job on Monday night. The bench let them down in a big way. And glad the Sixers are able to hang on and get the win. But it was ridiculous that the starting lineup had to come in in the fourth quarter. Two one five five nine two nine four nine four. If you want to get in, two one five five nine two nine four nine four. Also talking about the Eagles and. Whether your opinion of Howie Roseman has changed, are you confident in him moving forward? Uh, We'll continue talking about that as well. Mike in South Philly, Paul in Downingtown. We'll get you guys up next. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly with you on a Tuesday morning. If you want to get in, 215-592-9494. Talking about the Eagles and whether you have more confidence in Howie Roseman following this draft and this offseason. So we'll continue talking about that. But – and we'll get to the Phillies in a little bit here, but um, I did not get to watch the Phillies game on Monday night. And, uh, you know, not great for me considering, you know, I'm on the air and I kind of need to watch these games, but uh, I was – I didn't know this, but I have, I have YouTube TV. I do not have the tra- traditional Comcast setup, and um, – and YouTube TV, I did not realize this till Monday night. They do not carry PHL seventeen. Um, I didn't know the game was on PHL seventeen, which I have an issue with that. Like at this point, what what you know, you know, can't you bump the Flyers to the to to the you know auxiliary network here? The, you know, the, like the Flyers are owned by them, but they're playing. I mean, they're playing a meaningless game. Like, come on, the f- the, the, the they they broadcast all three teams games the flyers are the least important like you know send them to send them to another network
3: use philadelphia and philadelphia plus for for the two teams that actually matter as uh joe girardi said in his press conference earlier this year i don't want to talk strategy well i I mean the strategy is you're going to go to comcast sports anyway so there you go there's the least popular game on right there bang and then you turn it off it's more time spent watching than you would if, you know, if they're on uh, 17. I guess. I, I mean, I
2: guess I'm just bitter because there wasn't a yeah, PHL 17 it. on YouTube TV. I mean, I wanted to watch the Phillies. And, um, you know, instead, I mean, I still be able to listen to our great Odyssey app. And yeah, listen I mean, to you obviously would have Frans-
3: listened anyway. You just instead of turning it down, yes. there's nothing to turn down.
2: <laughs> exactly. But it, it was a little, you know, difficult where I'd like to listen to Fransky in L.A. And I have the the drama of the ninth inning, but yeah, I can't see Hector,
3: you know, as he's trying to close this game out. It was a little disappointing. At one point he, uh, I think, I'm not a lip reader, but it looked like he said, I got this, When like like even when it was uh, like the bases loaded and all the stress.
2: Well, that's good. That, that, that's what you want out of your closer. Um, and you said there was another umpiring issue in this <laughs> game. I, I missed it, um, but what, what was the issue in this game? Just Hunter Wendelstadt was so bad. I mean, that just, is a great umpire name by the way. Hunter Wendelstat Wendlestad. The
3: Wendelstadt's Hunter and Harry, right? There's a Harry Wendelstadt? I thought uh isn't he the son of uh yeah, Harry Wendelstat Harry Wendelstadt is a legendary Hall of Fame National League umpire.
2: Okay, so they're the Wendelstadt family is a uh, is like umpiring royalty, kind of like the uh West family. Well, not the West I family. Mean, I mean the
3: Crawford family. They've I mean they've spanned 55 years the Wendell stats. Okay. Well, they they're like the Wendel the Mendelbaum. Yeah. The Mendelbaums yeah. and the Wendell
2: stats. I could see them cutting it up at a little, you know, 4:30 early bird special down in Del Boca Vista.
3: Yeah, there you go. But yeah, I mean the strike zone was terrible. Uh Matt Joyce actually got ejected. Um which but if you're hitting 100 and the team has like no bench. Right. You don't, 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 don't get, get ejected, ejected. Right, exactly. Even if you have a point, um and then he it it hit a makeup call on Colton Wong in the ninth, so I guess it was fine. But it was just just a terrible strike zone, yet again. I mean, and I'll throw this out there as well. Like, I am
2: ready to abolish all umpires. I am ready to get rid of every single umpire. There is no reason to have umpires in Major League Baseball anymore. There's not. Like, get rid of them, abolish them. Just it's, have the automatic strike zone, safe outplays. You just review from the booth. What is the need for umpires in baseball anymore? I, I'm honestly curious. Mike, where do you stand on this? Do you think they serve any purpose? Like, what is the point at this, at this juncture to have umpires out there? Well, I mean, obviously you need
3: somebody to facilitate the game.
2: Right. Like, you can have that. Fine. You have a guy out there, you know, and if there's a fight, you know, you enforce, you eject people, break it up, whatever. This poor guy, just one guy. <laughs> right. Just one, you know, one, or you want to throw two guys out there, but like, all they do is mess up calls. This year, this has been the worst month I've ever
3: seen. It was really bad, yeah. Um, I I mean, I I don't think it's pandemic-related. Like, I know the ones that opted out opted out, and that was fine. And now it's – like, we're still seeing the veterans. Like, Hundle Wendelstead, you know, I don't know – Although the guy last week was pretty new, right? The McCutcheon guy, Rivas. I've never heard of him. Yeah, but it's like, even the play, like, they have review, but the only reason
2: they don't overturn plays is because they don't want to undermine the umpire. Like, if you just get rid of the umpires, you can get the calls right. So I want to get rid of umpires in Major League Baseball, and I want to know if you agree. Like, is it time to get rid of umpires altogether? Because I I think they do more harm than good.
3: And with this level of technology, they really are obsolete. All you, t- I, the only change I would make is just have the umpire, you know, interpret and and I guess announce whatever a, a screen or a monitor says if it's ball or strike. Like, don't it's not a judgment call. But de- everything else I would leave the same. Like, I don't know. You kind, you need somebody yelling safe out, so then the game can like move or like. If, like there's a fly ball in center field and a guy's trying to tag up. You still need an umpire to say like out. He called it. So then you know to run. Just like, just, just the blare little it over to like the that.
2: Speaker, have a
3: guy uh, hit a button out, and then you know like that's going to be home field advantage. The Astros, they're going to have it really quiet when like the other team's batting. They can't hear it. Yeah, well, whatever. I just I can't stand these umpires ruining games. So I want to get rid of all of them. Um,
2: I want to know if you agree. Two one five five nine two nine four nine four. Let's go to Mike in South Philly. What's up, Mike?
9: How's it going, Tom?
2: Good. How you doing, man?
9: Yeah, I think Hunter Wendelstadt should wear a world's greatest umpire T-shirt. He should.
2: Yeah. Wendelstadt and Mendelbaum are just names that, uh, that, that you know, kind of remind me of each other.
9: You remember, uh, yeah, world's greatest day. That means I'm better than number one. Well, so was, like, yeah, I don't know how official any of these rankings really are.
2: Right. It was funny the other day. I forget which writer it was, but there was a, uh, I think it was Jeff Darlington, who posted a video of his 76-year-old dad, like, at a deadlifting comp- competition, and he reminded me of Izzy Mandelbaum. That was a pretty funny video. <laughs> so
9: look it up. Yeah, I love James. that episode. Yeah, oh, And Jerry just picked up the TV and was like, you <laughs> think you're better you than us? You think you're
2: better than us? Yeah.
9: <laughs> No, um, but uh, to answer your question, um, I have not not I'll be as fair as I possibly can. Um, I I don't think it's time for me to be uh, have my uh, faith in how I rejuvenated yet. Um, I think it's kind of like, you know, if you have like a roommate who steals from you and he just chronically does it over and over again. And then, you know, he comes back and apologizes like, I promise I'll never do it again. You know, and, you know, you know, say a month goes by and nothing's missing from your, you know, your apartment and you go, okay, maybe he has changed. But at the same time, at the back of your mind, you know, if he spends a little bit too long in the bathroom or, you know, if you're out in the car waiting to go somewhere and he's lingering around, just little things, you know, it's going to be nagging in the back of your mind. Is he out there stealing something? You know, I think how he has to prove it over time. And also I just think he has tendencies that are, they might even be innate that just are going to, you know, prevent him from being grounded for the long term. I think he's driven by an ego and I think he too often tries to course you know overcorrect. So he might have a year here and there where he has he really knocks it out of the park. Maybe he's extra motivated to prove people wrong. But I think over time and this will you know, we'll see what happens, but over time those negative qualities are gonna rise back to the surface. And uh, it's going to prevent him from kind of being grounded. I think his ego will get back, you know, kind of fall off a little bit and he will go crazy again. And, you know, it's hard for me to have full, you know, full faith in him unless he strings together like multiple really good off seasons.
2: Yeah. I think that's fair, Mike. I just, I don't, I don't have that same idea of Howie. And I think that's the general perception and, and I get it. And, you know, I think ego certainly, I think everybody at that kind of level has a certain amount of ego, but I really do believe Lurie and Howie want to do what's best for the team, like, and I think they have gone about executing that goal the wrong way in in some instances. But I truly believe that that is their you know end goal and what they really have at the forefront of their minds. And it's why I do have confidence that that in the end they, they will they will you know run this thing the way they need the way that it needs to be run long term.
9: Well I'll say this. I think this is Howie's best off season since twenty seventeen. Um, I don't know if I would call it great so far, but I think it has the potential to be great. I think this off season is pretty much it's gonna be have, it's gonna to have to be analyzed retroactively because so much of what they've done this off season is gonna be dependent on what they do next off season. Because for example, if they go out next off season and like, you know, we talked about last night, if they trade for a Deshaun Watson or a Russell Wilson, then we're gonna look back and say, Oh man. All the moves that Howie made in 2021 allowed this to happen. Right. So, but, you know, if they, you know, if those picks don't end up being great, for example, say Carson Wentz doesn't play 75% of the snaps and it's a second round pick and say Miami has an amazing year and that first round picks at the bottom of the first round and those picks don't really turn into anything, then you might judge it differently. So I think this offseason is kind of, you know, to be. You know, determined. Uh, it could end up being great. It could end up being his best off season as a general manager if they end up landing a franchise star quarterback with those draft picks, and then of course, you know, uh, adding a Devontae Smith on top of it, and potentially, you know, a Pro Bowl offensive lineman to replace a Kelsey or a Brandon Brooks. Then you could look back and say, okay, this might be his best off season as a GM. But for now, to me, it's to be determined.
2: Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, you can't look at it right now and you know say what's going to predict, what's going to happen. Like we don't know how all this is going to play out, but when I just evaluated on the possibilities and like the amount of options that this team has compared to where they were three months ago, because I mean, remember right after the season, we're talking about salary cap, hell not great situation in terms of draft picks. They have moving forward. Um, you know, a quarterback doesn't want to be here, all of this stuff. I can only evaluate based on how, things look now compared to how they look a few months ago, and the future, I mean, I couldn't even uh, imagine as a Howie supporter at that time, things looking as positive now when they looked as negative as they did a few months ago.
9: Oh Yeah, I mean, maybe that's Howie's best gift, maybe when things get worse, he has, he has a roadmap to rebuild. It's just that when he's on top, he has trouble staying there. Maybe that, that, that'll be how his legacy, when, you know, when, it, when his career is finished. Maybe it's, he's good at building when things hit rock bottom and he kind of gets motivated, but when he's a, on top, he kind of lets things cloud his judgment. I mean, who knows? I mean, you know, obviously his career, and he's still a relatively young guy, you know, still plenty of years left in his career, whether it's in Philly or elsewhere. I, w- I will say this, though. Actually, you know what? Actually, right before I said it, I kind of thought maybe it isn't fair. I'll, I'll, I'll do this. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what I was going to say, and okay. then and then I'll tell you why I think it might not be fair, and then you, you judge either way. I was okay. going to say that I think Harry Roseman ha- has a better 2021 than Daryl Morey has. And then part of me was like, well, then again, Daryl Morey hasn't had a chance to have his 2021 offseason yet. So I don't know if that's entirely fair, um, but I think – Ironically, you know, Daryl Morey's 20, um, his 2020, you know, his past year, what he's done in the past year is kind of incomplete also because if, for example, the Nets end up eliminating the Sixers from the playoffs, they're going to look back and say, Daryl Morey, man, that was a mistake what he did with Harden, you know, um, and then if the Sixers end up beating the Nets or don't have to face them, then you can look at it uh, completely different. Um, But I think that, you know, you bring in a guy like Daryl Morey, um, as a guy like as a savior for the franchise, and you look at his moves as his first year general manager, um, he got rid of a big contract. That was a solid move, uh, but what he's done in season, in my opinion, has been extremely underwhelming. Uh, I mean, I would give his in season uh, mark a, a D, to be honest. I think he's been bad in season, um, and just compared to what Howie's done since the you know the calendar has turned to the 2021 year, I honestly think Howie's had a better 2021 than Daryl has.
2: Yeah, I think, Mike, that's one that, that –
9: and again, and
2: it is funny we we talk about this, but in the end, it, it does come down to the results. And we could look at Morey this year, and if the Sixers end up, you know, going to the finals or winning it all, it's going to be looked at as Darryl Morey had a great offseason, and if they end up going out in the second round – to especially if it ends up being Brooklyn or they go out to Milwaukee, um, then it's going to be looked at as Daryl Morey didn't do enough. And you're exactly right; it's going to all end and end up hinging on how the team does in the postseason. And that's ultimately how we're going to view the Eagles too. Is you know how does this all pan out? We can look at it right now and say it looks good, but you're right. If if they end up not having the success on the field, nobody's going to care.
9: Well, let me ask you uh, to kind of, I, I wasn't even planning to talk about the Sixers, but just to pop in my head. You yeah. Know, um, say the Nets do eliminate the Sixers from the playoffs. Do you think fans are going to come down on Darrell or do you think they're not going to care? Because I don't think they will. I think Sixers fans are so, they feel so fortunate just to have him here. I think he's going to be Teflon in this town. Like, you know, for example, if, I think if Brian Colangelo, in a hypothetical scenario, if if Brian Colangelo was never fired and he made the same moves that Daryl Morey did, I think the reaction in this town will be much different. I think Brian Colangelo would have gotten massacred in this town for not getting Harden. But I think because of what the city went through with Colangelo and then Elton Brand and how the franchise was in such turmoil, I think the fan base almost feels like they're so lucky to have Daryl Morey that they don't really even have an interest in criticizing him, even if he does something that's objectively probably a mistake. And we'll, obviously we'll find out if it ends up being a mistake. But what do you think? Do you think if, if Brooklyn eliminates the Sixers, that the city will come down on them? Or do you think they'll give them a pass?
2: No, I think they'll come down on them. And I don't know if I agree with that, Mike, with, with you know, the, the Harden thing. Like, I, I don't think it was this consensus among Sixers fans that they should make this move. Like, I, at the time, I would have done it. Um, but, you know, I wasn't 100 percent about it. And, you know, if if Harden doesn't end up playing in the playoffs and the Sixers end up defeating Brooklyn, that's going to look like a genius move in, in keeping Simmons. So, um, yeah, I don't I, I do think uh, if they do lose, though, and Harden's a massive part of that. Yeah, I do think he will take a lot of heat for it
9: so yeah yeah it'll yeah. be
2: interesting to follow yeah. um but yeah so. i
9: just i want to say it's really cool how we're going to see over the next year how like you know we're going to look back and see how the you know the, you know do our final right. grades on, on these uh off seasons
2: right no i agree yeah, mike it, i appreciate it man. take it easy yeah and i i like that's the thing with with simmons that wasn't a consensus you know the sixers need to get hard i think a lot of people felt that way i probably would have done it but i understood why the sixers didn't do it. i mean First of all, I've been on record saying this. I don't, I don't really hold that against Morey because I don't believe Houston was ever going to trade James Harden. Like I just don't. I don't think Houston was ever going to trade James Harden to Philadelphia. I don't think Tillman Fertitta, the owner of of the Rockets, wanted to just give Daryl Morey James Harden and uh, you know pair, let Morey, who left the Rockets pair him with Joel Embiid. I don't ever really think that was a possibility. Um, but you know, it it remains to be seen and, and if the Sixers end up, you know, defeating Brooklyn going to the finals will be looked at as a great move. If Harden goes off against Sixers
3: in the playoffs, it'll be looked at as a horrible move and that's the way we'll end up judging it. And really, I think this has been proven out over time. The Rockets did not want to add any money and Ben Simmons had a max contract. Yeah. You've been on that take and you're probably right about that. I think you're
2: right about that. Yeah. So, um, I think there there are a lot of uh, a lot of things involved, and and you know Ben Simmons, by the way, Ben Simmons is a hell of a player, and you know I, I certainly think you add James Harden to the team and take Ben Simmons off, things look different. They're more dynamic offensively, and and I don't know how you would have guarded the Sixers in that in that situation. Who knows? Things go differently. Maybe Harden doesn't get injured, uh, whatever. But Ben Simmons is an extremely important part of this team. And I I I'm not going to lie to you, just as in a quick aside here, I am really getting tired of the Ben Simmons haters. Like I I just I don't understand it. Like this idea that Ben Simmons isn't a Philly guy or uh, you know, he he isn't he, the, the people who don't like Ben Simmons, you know, start wa- start actually watching him play, please. Like uh, like either start watching him play or stop talking about him. Because you're obviously not watching him play. Got to bet Like, you. I mean, it's just ridiculous at this point. Like, the guy is going to be the defensive player of the year. Like, he's the hands-down defensive player of the year. Uh, he is an extreme... Well, I, I mean, he's going to win it. You Would think? You I I think he's going to win it.
5: Mm.
2: Well, I see a wager opportunity. I, I, well, I'll wager you on it. Um, but... Uh, I think he's going to win it. Um, and he's an inc- he's an incredibly important part of this team. And you can focus on the shot. You can focus on all the stuff you want. If you do, you're just not watching. And just admit you're not watching and we'll move on. But the guy is an incredibly important player. You see when he's out what happens to the team. And it's like – and then people get upset when he says, yeah, I'm important to the team. It's like, okay, well – he's just a impo- hot take. He's important to the team. Like, sorry. Like, uh, when the team goes 0-4 when he's out of the lineup, it's pretty obvious that the guy matters. Um, so uh, the Ben Simmons hate is just something that, that that's bothering me more every day. Let's get Paul in Downingtown in here. What's up, Paul? Hey, TK. How's it going?
0: I, I, I can kind of appreciate where you're coming from on the hate for Ben Simmons. I, I get the frustration. Uh, I get the uh, desire to see him be more excellent offensively. I get the desire to see him be more consistent in terms of his his toughness in and, ter- and mental toughness it, you know there i i don't doubt that he was sick but the, you know the the appearance uh, the optics on Ben seemingly missing more games against premium opponents where he's going to have to match up one on one against the NBA's best there's beginning to be a little more fire than smoke at this point. It's happened too consistently. So that appearance of softness is going to be a detractor for him in this town.
2: Well, Paul, I'm, Paul other than that, I, I'm with you other though. than like, that, I, I like the kid. No, but other than that one week, what other, what other instances are well, there? The, uh, it,
0: I, it seems to be something that has been brought up earlier in the season when he missed games. It was brought up last year when he missed games. It, it, it just, it, I can't put the thread together because I, I wasn't planning on talking about it. So I haven't researched it, but to my memory, you know the the connection between Ben missing games and the opponent that we're playing having an excellent player that he has to match up against isn't something that is newly spoken of within the last week. Yeah, so we talked well, about. You know what I, I mean? It's it's a consistent thread. The, the, but Paul, the, I think you might be I'm mixing not a up. Fan of that part, no, I'm just saying. I like the
2: kid. Yeah, no, Paul, I'm just saying. I think you might be mixing up Simmons and Embiid because that was something that was brought up earlier in the year with Embiid, with Utah, and some of the other teams they played. Okay. I'm, I just okay. think you might be mixing those two guys up.
0: That's uh, all. Yeah, that's entirely possible. Like I said, I was kind of talking off the top of my head, but sure. I, like, like I said, I'm more a fan of the kid, and I'm tired of hearing the knocks. You know, I, I, I think positive reinforcement might be something that's, you know. You know, something that might be a better direction, but it's hard to understand how he can put up 41 night into the next and how his offensive energy output can look so drastically different. That's going to be hard for this town to accept. You know, if, if the effort was there every night and it was consistent and it was just one night he went two for 19 and the next night he was 17 for 19, people can accept that a lot better than the nights he just goes one for four and seems a little bit lackadaisical on the offensive end of the court.
2: Yeah, but. no, I, I get people wanting him to shoot more. I just Personally, I look at it like I'd rather have Ben Simmons embrace what he is than have him be like a Russell Westbrook type and try to be something that he isn't. You I get
0: that, but if he can be a good, dominant offensive player in one game, he should be able to do that a little bit more consistently. Agreed. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I agree He should that. have that attitude of like, I'm going to take this to the rim because you can't stop me. And if you try to stop me, I'm going to kick it out to Curry, or I'm going to drop it off to Embiid, you're not going to stop the three of us. And when Ben has that attitude of, you know what, our three is as good as any of your three, and I'm going to prove it by being that guy. When he, when Paris when, when isn't the Sixers' second best offensive player, the Sixers are a championship team, brother. You know and 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 that's what is the kicker for me is when ben simmons is the second best player on both ends of the court or maybe the best defender you know we'll talk about that later but when he's clearly that number two guy and there isn't an argument for harris being the number two guy on offense the Sixers are a championship team when they're not they're vulnerable you know And, and and that's what gets people is people want wins in this town and when they see that effort from Simmons and when Simmons is putting that offensive effort forward and he's scoring 20, these guys are tough to beat, man. You know what I mean? And that's, I think, what people look at. But, you know, I, I really kind of, if we can, I, I really kind of wanted to talk about the Eagles and sure. kind of what this draft meant to me. Sure. And what what I was looking at was I don't think there's any pressure on Howie to win this season. And for me, that's a tough pill to swallow because, I look at him as a guy that has kicked the can down the road on his mistakes. You know, I I understand that the Eagles may look better, you know, optically right now than they did a few weeks ago. However, there comes a time when you push this debt down the road that it's going to affect us because it's money that maybe we're not going to, you know, that we're already spending in the future that might prevent us from re signing guys we want. It might prevent us from bringing in free agents. So I, I don't look at it as like, you know, how he's had this huge win this offseason. I look at it like he's pushed off his mistakes to down the road, and we're not sure how it's going to play out. And the draft, to me, clearly speaks to someone that's comfortable in his position for this year, as if to say, like, you yeah, if the Eagles go four wins again this year, I'm perfectly safe. I have no worries about my job security, and that really bothers me because this talent hat, this team has no young talent. Most of the talent that it has is older and aging off the roster. Some of it's overpriced to boot because they're not performing up to what they were when they got their contract, and the the, the amount of of young talent on this team compared to what's there on other teams, it's not good. Like they, it just doesn't look good. And then when you draft guys that aren't going to play this year or may not play this year, it just speaks to a level of job security that to me is
2: it, it, well, it, it shouldn't be that. Well, Paul, the way I look at it, I look at it much less. Howie in terms of his job security and much more in terms of what's best for the organization. Like that that's exactly this year. But this is exactly the the point. But Paul, this is exactly the point. Like the Eagles' mistakes over the last couple years have been because they've been overly focused on what are we gonna do this upcoming season. And that is not the right way to build your team when you are not a Super Bowl contender. And the Eagles. There's nothing they could have done this offseason to be a Super Bowl contender. So you can either we can either be upset about that or we can look at what will make you a Super Bowl contender, you know, in the closest window. And the closest window is looking beyond um 2021. And I I don't know. I am more optimistic about this roster than a lot of people are. Like, I don't look at this as a four win team. I think this is a team that if things break right, I could see them being around 500 and competing in this division.
0: I, I don't know if that's true, but what what you can say, I think with with real certainty, is that that you know thirty seventh pick, yeah there there are valuable defensive players that will be valuable to any Super Bowl team in the future that also could have helped this year, and and, and that's why I look at it that way. We don't know, like to me. If if you're already a Super Bowl team, you can gamble on a second-round pick that may never play, that has an injury history that is downright frightening. It's like something out of a Stephen King novel, this poor kid. I mean, anything that can break has broken. Anything that can go wrong injury-wise has. And so we don't know if that means – hey, this kid's in the clear for the next five, six years because, hey, there's nothing left that can go wrong? Right. Or the track record that suggests this kid's never going to get through a season he's going to be out of the NFL in four or five years despite all of the talent? Because as we all know, age and injury when they go together, the, the, the barometer goes up. It becomes yeah. hard to recover. It becomes harder to come back, and it affects your play more and more each year. And so, to me, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are coming off the Super Bowl Are the kind of team that can gamble on a broken-down guy that has all the talent in the world but has never been able to prove he can stay on the field. And And so that's why I say... What is this guy doing? You could have taken a corner. that could have played for this organization consistently for the next ten years, or at least you know you th- you can at least have a reasonable argument to say I just drafted a starting corner that's going to be here for a decade. Yeah, no, I I hear You're you. Roll Paul. the dice on some I, guy that maybe he'll be. I I, maybe
4: I, won't. I hear you, Paul,
2: and I appreciate the call, and I I get, it, but th- that's exactly the thing, though. Like this is falling into the exact trap. If The Eagles had done that. They would be falling into the same trap they fell into the past couple years. Is focusing too much on, well, we need to have a corner this year. No, you got to focus on getting the best players for the next five to ten years. And, yeah, the injury history is concerning, and it is risky. But it is worth the risk for this guy. And I'm glad they're operating this way. Like, if I can get a corner who can be good, or I can get an offensive lineman who, if he can stay healthy, and if you have confidence he can stay healthy, you think can be an all-pro, I'm taking the guy who can be an all-pro. Like, I I just am. And, you know, we this is where the criticism of Howie is, is in many ways unfair, where you, you criticize him for not looking long-term and for having, you know, an old aging roster. But then when he looks long-term, it's, oh, he should have done more in the short term. Should have done more to improve the team for this year. It's not about this year for them, and it shouldn't be about this year for them. It should be about 2022 and beyond, and whatever happens this year happens, and I think this team has a chance to be good. I don't think they're going to be awful, but looking in that kind of, of short-sighted manner is what got the Eagles into this situation in the first place, and I'm glad that they are not operating that way anymore. Two one five five nine two nine four nine four. if you want to get in. 215 592 9494. If you want to join the show, asking if you have more confidence in Howie Roseman, who uh, is was very unpopular uh, this offseason. But uh, considering what he's done this offseason, considering what he's done in this draft, um, I don't know how you, couldn't, how you couldn't have more confidence in him moving forward. So asking that question tonight, uh, if you want to get in, two one five I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. One and
10: two. This will be the 40th pitch for Hector. Here it comes. Check swing. No, he went around. He has struck out, and the ball game is over as Lorenzo Kane can't hold off on the splitter, and Hector
4: Naris finally finishes off the Milwaukee Brewers. Four to three, the final.
2: Well, that was Scott Franski with the call right here on 94 WIP uh, as Hector Narris throws 40 pitches in the ninth inning but does get the save against the Milwaukee Brewers. Really gutsy performance from Hector Narris in this game. You know, Hector's a guy that can be frustrating at times for sure. Um, you know, the other night gives up the homer to Conforto. Um, it's a roller coaster typically with him in there, but, I mean, that was a hell of an effort on Monday night when the Phillies really needed it. Already using Brogdon, using Coonrod, Alvarado unavailable. Um, I wonder, I don't know who was up. I mean, Girardi said it was his last hitter. Um, There's no I mean, he couldn't have gone to David Hale. David Hale would have been unavailable. And, I mean, Hector now with, with Girardi's bullpen. I'm sure Hector won't pitch probably till the weekend. Um, but really excellent performance from Hector Neris in that ninth inning. And Milwaukee, man, they were giving him good at-bats, hung in there, didn't give in, and finally ends up getting the big strikeout to end it. And a game the Phillies needed to win. I mean, let's face it. And I feel like for a team this early in the season, they have dealt with a lot of must-win games, you know, and and – in baseball, you'll say, no, well, nothing's really a must-win this early, but emotionally, they've had some brutal losses. Sunday night was a, a horrendous loss, as I said yesterday. Um, the, what Reese Hoskins did on uh, Monday night was way more offensive than what Gene Segura did two years ago. It's, it's not even close. I mean, Gene Segura didn't run out of pop-up to first base, something players in Major League Baseball don't do pretty much all the time. Reese Hoskins did, made a Little League play just not paying attention. Like, that was, that was much worse than what Segura did. And I'll give Joe Girardi a lot of credit for what it looked like was a benching of Reese Hoskins on Monday. It said yesterday that Joe Girardi would prove a point you know he had to sit Reese Hoskins, and it looks like he effectively did that, right, Mike? Had to come in the game because Joyce got ejected, but basically, you know, even down Harper, uh, I give Girardi credit for for doing what he
3: did and sitting Hoskins down. Yeah, I mean, it sure looked like it. Um, in I don't know, maybe it was one of those you know those secret Cesar Hernandez benchings where right. it, was, it really wasn't a benching, but into, it was. Yeah. But it was it was to appease the media. But he would tell Cesar like. You're not really benched. I just wanna get a day off.
2: Yes. There was a it was that game in May or June, because we talked about this before because it was a game I did the final out on where he didn't run out of fly ball to left field. Right. And then he benched him like the next day.
3: Right. Uh yeah. Yeah, I think it was like in August actually. It might have be been, been
2: against the Brewers again.
3: Uh, I think it might
2: have been. Okay. But uh so be it. Not 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 really important in this conversation. But credit to Girardi for that for benching Hoskins, because what Hoskins did on Monday night was disgrace, and it was an ugly loss for the Phillies. It was an embarrassing loss for the Phillies, and they needed this win bad. And first, uh, here's Joe Girardi t- game just talking about that, you know, really, uh, really di- tough effort from Neris in the ninth inning to get the save.
10: Well, it's a gutsy performance by Hector. I mean, I don't l- ever like letting a pitcher go that many pitches and I know he threw a few in the inning before but just a really gutsy and uh, he looked over and said I got this and um, that was his last hitter I mean no matter what so obviously he did a heck of a job
2: and shame on me I said only ninth inning it was the eighth inning as well Hector comes on for the final two outs of the eighth and really I mean, they had nowhere else to go, right? I mean, you already used Brogdon and Coomrod. Who would have been? Who, and Mike, as I told Kinsler. you earlier, so Kinsler was up. Yeah, okay, I'm, he pitched yesterday. I was surprised he was available. <laughs> but as I said earlier, unable to watch the game because this, this PHL uh, on YouTube TV. Not able to, not able to watch it. But uh, Fransky in LA uh, ha- had me covered on the Odyssey app, which was was beautiful because I don't. I, I don't have, uh, you know, the standard radio anymore. I need the Odyssey app to listen to the game.
3: You don't know, have standard radio?
2: No, I don't have a clock radio. Who yeah. has clock radio under the age of 60? You know? Uh, they, clock radio. Smartphones these days.
3: I didn't say a clock radio. I just said a radio.
2: Yeah, but I'm, all, I, I'm not going to go sit in my car. Like, now, now with the Odyssey app, it's beautiful. You can just listen on there. Yeah, that's true. You know? So, uh, that was that was great. Um, But... Uh, Hector, tremendous performance, uh, but that was the second tremendous performance from a starting pitcher or, or from a Phillies pitcher, rather, on Monday night because Vince Velasquez, give him credit where credit's due. Velasquez, if you need a win, where else do you go other than Vinny Velo? Not and, a big leaguer. No, and Vince Velasquez uh, stepped up big time, going six innings, allowing just one run, and I've said this before. The Phillies issue, and, and this is the thing, if you want to bash Vince Velasquez, and I argue with Al about this way back, that first loss of the season against the Mets, he, the problem is not Velasquez. The problem is Velasquez in so many of these instances is the Phillies' best option. Like, Velasquez is going to be in the starting rotation because he's one of their five best starters. Like, Velasquez is better than Matt Moore. I think Velasquez is probably better than Chase Anderson. Oh, yeah, he definitely is. Yeah. Yeah. So he's going to be in the rotation, and if you have issues with him, really direct your issues to the front office, who has failed to develop a starting pitcher better than him in his time. It's really the previous two GMs, Blaine. Right. I mean, Eflin turned out better than him, but, I mean, Nick Pavetta did not pan out here, and Vince Velasquez is is just better than he is. And here was Joe Girardi talking about uh, Velasquez and and the uh, length of his outing.
1: Yeah, Vinny actually threw...
4: His best two innings were his fifth and sixth innings. So maybe we need to tire him out a little bit.
2: Well, there you go, Joe. I don't know. Did I'm disappointed. I wish we got some fake laughter there. We got to let Dan know if he's cutting the sound that if there is any fake laughter that we would enjoy because that that seems like the joke. You get a a chuckle from the reporter who would ask the question. Yeah,
3: there's there's a few few suspects in my head. I'm picturing laughing. Yeah,
2: yeah. There, yeah. There are a few that would laugh about that one. But um, Vince Velasquez talked about that after the game as well. Here's Velasquez uh, talking about going deeper into games.
11: You know, good good to go more than five innings, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, that's one of the things where, uh, you know, I try to set a goal for myself, try to just go more than five and try to go deep in the game. But, you know, sometimes, you know, it just doesn't pan out that that way. And, you know, I you know, commend Joe for letting me go out there. And, um, you know, it just seemed like I was kind of locked in after that first inning. Um, and then after that, I retired ten in a row, and it just seemed like everything was kind of working effectively.
2: Yeah, I mean, it was it was a good performance. Here's more from Velasquez.
11: I'm just one of those guys where I'm gonna kind of just keep going, and until my job is done, you know, that's when I start shaking hands. Um, but at that time, you know, Joe was like, Hey, get ready for you know, if you're if you're if you're up in the lineup, I mean, you're you're gonna hit. So. That probably that probably would have been my chance to extend the uh, the lead there, probably going yard, but that wasn't the case. But, <laughs> but I mean, you know, I'll take my six innings and you know uh, you know the work done and um you know build off of that.
2: How about l a with a little of the, uh, a little the over laughter there? okay, yeah. l a <laughs> with a little of the laughter of Velasquez joke about going yard, another bad joke, but that's okay. Um, here's one more, here's, uh, another one for Velasquez talking about, you know, his approach, just letting the fielders play behind him in this one.
11: You know, it's just one of those things where you kind of just tend to, you know, stay poised and, you know, still, still, uh, command your stuff. Cause at the end of the day, you, st- all you have to do is keep pitching, you know, make good pitches. And I wasn't trying to blow guys away, but when I had that opportunity, I'm going to try to go for yeah. it. But, you know, sometimes it's, it's, it's all right to not strike everybody out. So, I mean, you make your right pitches, you, you, you know force some contact and then, you know. Let let the other guys play behind you. I mean,
2: dangerous thing to do with this defense, but I'm glad Vince Velasquez is thinking that way and not trying to be too fine out there on the mound. But Velasquez obviously had good good stuff in this game. And the uh, pitching coach, Caleb, how do you say his
3: last name, Cotham or Cotham? Caleb Cotham. Caleb Cotham. Well... Here, here's Vince on, on Caleb because uh, Vince had a little bit of trouble in the first inning and right. you know, Caleb came out
11: and eased things. For
2: him. Right. And here's here's Vince on uh, Caleb telling him he thought he looked good early.
11: Caleb was out there and he's like, man, your, your looks nice. And I was like, you know, what? it feels really nice. And, you know, when you just have that kind of, you know, self-confidence within yourself and, you know, stuff is working and. You start, you know, progressing and making those adjustments mid-game. You start figuring it out. Sorry, sorry to say shit. but, I mean, at the same time, I'm just saying, like, you know, it's just one of those things. I
2: love Velasquez knowing he should not curse, yet he continues to curse. Like, that. That he obviously knew he was doing something he shouldn't be doing on live radio, yet he just continued to barrel through and do it.
3: Another thing with Vinny that it, uh, I enjoy. Vinny, wow. Affectionately calling him Vinny, I'd say. Well, I mean, you know, i, I learned from uh, Vinny. Yeah, there you go. Uh, every t- and, you know, Obviously, this doesn't happen often, but every time Vinny has a good start and he's talking about his start, he just, he always, kind of always sounds like he just, like, pitched a gem to go up, like, 3-2 in the NLCS. He does. He, he like, does. It's, like, it's off-putting. It just, Nice quality may start, Vinny. Yeah.
2: Well, uh, yeah. I mean, he is frustrating. I, I, I like he's frustrating. But my deeper problems are with the organization. Like, you know, I would prefer not to see him every right. fifth day as well. But it's not his fault that he's out there. Like, it's the organization's fault that he's out there. And I mean, you give him credit. He pitched well, but like you said, Mike, he does he does have an air about him. Like, you know, like he proved the haters wrong when he has one right, good like start he, out every five.
3: That's where he's – he always sounds so relieved, like, wow. Okay, this wasn't a disaster. My, my right? job is done. No, it's like I did my job for the year. And it's like you got to – like yeah. you need like 30 of these, Vinny. You're
2: going to be starting again on Saturday. <laughs> like, you need another one. So, uh, you give Velasquez credit. Um, the Phillies – Get the win uh, against uh, Brewer team that came in tied with, I believe, the Giants for the best record in the National League.
3: Yes, those so, Giants.
2: Okay, <laughs> so um, Phils now one game under 500. Hopefully, they'll get back to 500 again on Tuesday. Two one five five nine two nine four nine four. Let's get Jimmy and Mount Holly in here. What's up, Jimmy?
12: Yeah, I want to address a call that Mike from South Philly made last week uh, when he went on a classic rant about the softness of this fan base. Uh, This is going to flip rather quickly with three teams in the city. I don't count the Flyers because it's sort of a weird cult fan base that's impervious to being either soft or hard. Uh, Let's start with our favorite team, the football team. Howie Roseman has built a finesse team that's going to lose – a lot of shootouts, Uh, the total opposite of the teams that I hate to say, but this Neanderthal fan base loves the buddy Ryan smash mouth type of teams. So the fan base is going to be hard. Now, Mike was right in as much as he said, the reason for the softness in this particular case is the Super Bowl. I mean, let's face it that that's why they became soft. They're going to become hard really fast because this is the type of team they are going to hate. Like I said, they're gonna win they're gonna lose most of these thirty four to twenty-seven shootouts. And I'll tell you what, you're gonna get these calls like you wouldn't believe. I mean, the guy with the what I consider sociopathic hatred of Roseman that calls every show and the other station too with all of that is going to be in his glory. And you know what we could do, Tom, the last game of the season, we could have Landon Dickerson come out and take a symbolic snap just to put an accent on what I think is going to be a very frustrating season, but it's going to be exciting because the team will never be out of any games because they're going to be able to put points up. So that'll take care of the softness, quote-unquote, with, with, the, with the Eagles.
2: Well, we'll we'll see, Jimmy. I mean, I think it's way too early to predict, you know, what this team's going to look like or, or how it's going to be. And, I mean, you look at the defense, like, yeah, and how he alluded to this in his post-draft press conference where, yeah, right now, I mean, the defense has some holes, but there's a lot of time for them to address them. Um, I think they're going to pick up a corner or two. Like, I don't I don't know. Why do you think the defense is going to be, you know, a- as atrocious as you do?
12: All right, let's go to the sport of baseball, okay? Well, well Jim,
2: no, Jimmy, I, why, why, why do you think the defense is going to be so bad? Well, first of all, I I think uh, I
12: mentioned this to you uh, as recent as last night. I mean, first of all, I I totally disagree with this business about you can't fix things immediately and have a great future. If they would have done what I wanted them to do. I mean, think about this secondary. J.C. Horn on one side, Robinson on the other. And then you can convert corners into safeties. Big play slay at one safety spot and Asante Samuel Jr. at the other. And you're, you're going to start built... two
2: rookie safeties or two rookie corners? They're going to get crushed. Well, why do you automatically assume that? I mean, I can say... You're automatically terrible. assuming they're going to be terrible. Well,
12: I didn't say terrible. I, I, this team is going to finish 7-10. and 10. I mean, if, if you want to... Paul, and locks up with your own philosophy about Howie Roseman. This is kind of what they did record-wise before the Super Bowl championship. Yeah, they were 7-9 and, right. and a legitimate 7-9, and, and then they won the Super Bowl. Unfortunately, it's not going to all work out that way. I don't believe it is. Now, okay. If you give me time, I can sure. go on to the other sports. Yeah, yeah, let's now, go on to
2: the other sports.
12: I, uh, first of all, Mike Angelina, who is the czar of sports knowledge on this station, him, Jolivitz, <sighs> And Rob Ellis and I believe in our heart of hearts, and we're betting on this, too, that the Milwaukee Bucks are coming out of the East. Now, that's not going to piss the fans off enough and harden them because they have become a little soft. I I am working on something right now. Mike doesn't agree, but I give the Knicks a puncher's chance of beating the Sixers in round two in the playoffs. Mike doesn't think so. i got to really delve deeply into this. That doesn't even need to happen. I mean, if Milwaukee were to win the East, that is really going to upset this fan base who got soft because uh, they they got Doc Rivers and, and they got this wonderful general manager who I totally agree with Mike his judgment of this general manager that they got, who's never won a thing, by the way. I mean, he, this general manager, so that is going to piss this fan base off and harden them on on that
2: front. Okay, yeah, I I, I don't know, like, I don't see it with the Knicks. I'm not going to lie to you. I mean, they're a nice little story, uh, you know, Thibodeau hasn't playing well this year. I, if they see the Sixers in the playoffs, I think that's that's a five games, uh, pretty light work for the Sixers as far as I. Now say.
12: on to the Phillies. I mean, what better way to piss a fan base off and harden them because they become soft too? Mike was so right on about everything. I mean, when they got Savior Joe and and this general manager that they got, that the fan base said, "Oh well, well Joe will take care of everything." the New York Mets are going to win this division with these rotten, insufferable, Creek boar fans that come down and, and, and torment us and harass us all the time. I mean, when they see that, and there's another thing that I don't think is going to happen that can really upset them. I mean, I love Gabe. You know that. Be you and Mike, we do, and we should. I mean, for, for all the right reasons. If he doesn't choke like he's done in his managerial career, imagine if they make noise In the playoffs, while we're sitting home, that would be embarrassing. Yeah, there's things (laughs) that are going to happen that are just going to infuriate this fan base, and they are going to be hard again. they they will be. And one other thing, Joe, I I suggested this to Big Daddy years ago. Can we get Mike in to co-host the show? I mean, I've I've uh, been—I don't know about uh, that. I've traveled everywhere. The, the he is in a class by himself as a caller. I mean, he he is the greatest caller by a oh, wide In oh, fact, okay. he's the Jerry Rice of callers. I mean, I don't know why you don't get him in yeah. here, especially when, when in the night when you're not getting callers and things are going slow and you got to fill yeah. out segments. I mean, I, I, I would try that.
2: I got you, Jimmy. I appreciate. It. I mean, there there are people higher up that I'd have to you know clear that stuff. Out. I was th- I thought he was talking about Mike Angelina co-hosted. I'm like hell no, like absolutely right. not. I don't even want to host. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I don't want to host. With- you oh, wouldn't I- want to host with me. Certainly. I don't want to have to talk. Yeah. But- <laughs> yeah, But, um, but Jimmy had brought up the knit. What is this? Is this like a thing where people really are going to buy into the Knicks now? Like uh, they're a nice story, but the Knicks aren't, aren't real. Right. Like, and, and Mike, you actually typed up, what do you, you, you said, I have somebody else who thinks the Knicks are for real. What, what do you have here?
3: Well, who's the
2: biggest uh, Knicks fan in the media? Oh, no. He's, but that, Stephen A. knows basketball. Stephen A. is not – he's not – the Knicks fans aren't really falling for this, right? Like, they can't be falling for this. He's, he's right. believing.
3: Let's hear it. Okay.
2: I'm talking about the New York Knicks, who, by the way, got a better record than
13: LeBron James in the Los Angeles Lakers, you think? You better ask somebody, what did I tell y'all? What did I tell y'all? It's a new day. It's a new day, okay? It's a new day. New York, Brooklyn what? Brooklyn what? Milwaukee, Philadelphia, so what? We coming. We coming. All right, Spike Lee and the crew getting ready. Playoff time, y'all. New York, stand up. New York, stand up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> These poor Knicks fans, man. They just never, they never learn. Like, they never learn. Things are not going to work out. Like, they never work out for the Knicks. They're not going to start working out now. And I'll tell you what, they're, not only are they not going to win a second round series, they're not getting out of the first round. I can guarantee you what's going to happen right now. I'm looking at the standings. Knicks will probably be the fourth seed. Uh, right now you got Atlanta and Miami going for the fifth seed. Miami's going to get the fifth seed and they're going to lose the Miami in the first round. Like, it, it, do you, do you agree with that, Mike? Or do you think the Knicks would at least win that series? I
3: would rather see the Knicks than yeah, Miami. But no, personally. I agree. I, I think the, yeah, the Heat win. Yeah. But did you hear Jimmy Butler today? No. What did he say? <laughs> Great quote. They, uh, it's like somebody in the media asked him, uh, hey Jimmy, uh, you have a tough end of your season here with, um. You know, you play Boston a couple times and, and Dallas and he's like he goes, Is that tough? And he goes, Maybe if your sorry ass is on the team that'd be tough. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty that, that's a pretty good one. Um, but uh yeah, I just don't
2: get it. I I just don't get this this Knicks hype. Like the Knicks yeah. the Knicks are not. They don't have a playoff. Uh, no, score. I mean, yeah. every year they get it's the same thing as when they get excited about we're going to get this free agent. No, they never get any free agents. We're going to get KD and Kyrie. No, they're both going to go. Not only they're going to go to New York and they're still not going to go to the Knicks. We're going to get Zion. No, you're going to get R.J. Barrett. It's like <laughs> it's like you're not going to things are not going to work out for the Knicks. Um, I would love to see the Knicks in the second round. Like the Sixers would win that series easily. I mean, Knicks maybe get a game. But yeah, I, I don't see what Stephen A. and Jimmy are, are seeing right now. Two one five five nine two nine four nine four. If you want to get in, two one five five nine two nine four nine four. Speaking of quotes in the NBA, I have a ridiculous one later on that we'll get to uh, from one of the coaches about one of his uh, players that that I think is absurd. We'll get to that coming up a little later on. But when we get back, talk about Howie tonight in a lot of ways and whether you're more confident in him moving forward. But we haven't made enough about exactly what he accomplished in the first round. Because it is beautiful on a number of different, uh, of different levels. And we'll get to that when we return. 215 592 I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Thank you, Paul. 215-592-9494. If you want to get in, I am Tom Kelly talking about uh, several different topics tonight. Uh, talking about the Sixers earlier on, if you want to get in on that. A, a win, but a frustrating one. As Sixers up 20 uh, at the end of the third. The bench just, I mean, it, it's it's ridiculous. They can't hold these leads. They have to bring the starters back in. Uh, they do get the win, but a night where Simmons and Bede Harris, they should have been able to rest in the fourth quarter. And rest is going to be important for this team down the stretch here. Instead, they have to come back in, get the win. Another big game tonight. Um, where Sixers aren't playing, but a uh, big game for us to watch here as the uh, Milwaukee Bucks host Brooklyn again. So we want the Bucks to win again. That would give the Sixers a little more breathing room. Uh, they're currently a game up. On Brooklyn, um, with the tiebreaker, so uh, Sixers um, they get back on the floor Wednesday against Houston. We'll talk about that a little earlier on. Talk about the Phillies, their big win. Hector Narris, forty pitches um, in the eighth and ninth inning combined, gets the job done. Phils win at four to three, and a strong start from Vince Velasquez on a night when uh, Caleb Cotham told him his uh, his stuff looked great. Um, Vince thought it felt great, and uh, Vince goes six innings um, and gets the Sixers uh, a a or the Phillies rather a big victory on a night where they desperately needed it. Phils once again a game under five hundred. Um, so talk about those things, and also the Eagles and Howie Roseman and whether your confidence in Howie has been restored or whether it's increased after what the Eagles have done in the draft in this offseason. Because, I mean, the entire offseason, in my mind, has been exactly what the Eagles have needed. Where we're sitting here three, four months ago, we're looking at a team with very little in terms of assets, very little in terms of draft picks, very little in terms of cap space. And we sit here four months later, and they are in one of the best positions as any team in the league as far as long-term, their options. The amount of draft picks they have, the cap space they have following this season. And all that stuff is great. But what really, I mean, is Howie Roseman's greatest feat of this offseason is what he did in the first round this year. And we haven't talked on this show enough about it because it was really beautiful on so many levels. And it all started way back when the Eagles made the move from six to 12, a move that was criticized in a lot of ways. You know, um, some thought it was premature, could take the Eagles out of drafting a top-notch player at number six. Some thought it was Howie's way of preserving himself down the road. I never understood that theory. I'm just going to be honest. I never understood this idea that Howie was preserving his job by trading down in the draft. I only, I only thought it made it, you know, more pressure filled that he ends up getting a top notch player because at no point was were, were people in this town going to be okay with the Eagles not getting a difference maker in the first round. They need to get a difference maker, but part of that evaluation of moving from six to twelve came very early when I feel like the Eagles decided they weren't going to pursue a quarterback this year. And this should honestly give Jalen Hurts a lot of confidence moving forward because the Eagles moved from 6-12, to and that really told you they weren't in the market for a quarterback at this point. Here's Howie on not considering a quarterback this year in the draft.
7: Well, I think in, in terms of our quarterback evaluations, you take each of those guys individually and you make the evaluation of what you think those guys can do. And then you evaluate the players on your team and uh, you make the best decision for your franchise. And uh, I think when we look back at the opportunity to move back um, and get an extra one in a year, that's probably a little bit more certain. In a draft process, probably a little bit more certain. Um, You know, there was a risk in doing that. We had to weigh the benefits of that and who we thought would be there at the sixth pick. Uh, and take those risks. And, you know, when when teams are picking four and five, you're kind of going through it, and you're going, am I going to be right here? You know, because you don't know, and you're making those decisions. What day do we make the trade? I, I don't even know. Dave Spadaro, everybody. Great job, man. Great job.
2: I love that M part. It's
3: it's so condescending to Spadero, is it not? Like,
7: great, great job. It's like
2: you know,
3: like he's, he's, he's patting uh, him on the little, head or something. He's a little. His it's like you know, Spadero how he's a little intern.
2: Yeah, can we get get that M part again?
3: <laughs> great, great job, great job man. He should, instead great of job. saying "man," you should called him "buddy."
2: I love that. That that'll need to be a drop on our show from now on. Uh, <laughs> Great job. Um, but uh, the Eagles moved down, and it did have to do with the evaluation in who was going to go for M5. And here's more from Howie on
7: the idea of making that trade with the Dolphins when the Eagles did. Uh, March 26. So you're making a prediction on March 26. Uh, you know, what you're going to do and what you think's going to be there. And so. Um, We had to do that at that moment, and we had to be very comfortable with it. And then, um, as we went through the process, we tried to target guys that we felt like could make a huge difference in our football team as players and people. And um, we had a list of those guys, and we we felt like, although there were opportunities to maybe um, stay at our spot or or move back, we just felt like, as we started this program, um, with the people that we started with, we wanted to get a difference maker. And so um i think this was about the effect that we thought the players that we drafted had and um not really um a judgment on some of the other players that we didn't take
2: and when you look at what the eagles did here it was masterfully done in the first round like you couldn't have handled it any better to move from 6 to 12 and the criticism of how he moving from 6 to 12 initially was based on The idea of Kyle Pitts or Jamar Chase still being there. And the fact that those are two dynamic – they're the two best pass catchers in the draft is how it was evaluated. And to take yourself out of a possible position to draft one of those guys is a huge mistake. But this was not done blind. You know, this was – Something that I'm sure Howie Roseman, Andy Weidel, everybody in the Eagles front office had evaluated and had an idea of how this was going to go. And obviously there's a level of risk in there. But the Eagles' homework and their research was right. Because they obviously, you know, from that process, had determined that Kyle Pitts and Jamar Chase weren't going to be there for at six for them anyway. And that's exactly what ended up happening. And look at what happened to Miami, who Miami, I believe, moved up to that spot because they wanted one of those players. They were left in no man's land and they end up reaching for Jalen Waddle at number six. Jalen Waddle is not a good pick for them at number six. I personally don't even think Jalen Waddle's as good as Devontae Smith is. But for the Eagles to move from six to twelve, get a first round pick. And move back up, only give a third-round pick, and get the player that I believe they would have taken at six anyway is just masterfully done. And the move back up was was great, and it, it was aggressive because the Eagles obviously weren't going to get Devontae Smith at number 12. And here's Howie on the aggressiveness of moving from 12 to 10 to get the player that they wanted.
7: Uh, we want to get Devontae Smith. We want to get him on this football team because of what kind of player he is, what kind of person he is. And we feel like when you you have that kind of character, when you're that kind of person, you raise the level of play of everyone else. And that's what he's going to do to that receiver room and the players on offense. That's what Landon Dickerson's going to do. And when you get that and everyone's rising to that level and everyone's maintaining their ability to play at the level that they have in their body, that's when you become a good football team.
2: Now I think. What do you think, Mike? I think Sirianni is rubbing off on Howie a little bit. That was that was like the most in enthused I've ever heard. Howie, I even heard a little clap at the end there. I think I think Sirianni's enthusiasm. Oh yeah, is rubbing off on Howie. Just well, a couple guys sitting around watching, watching ball. ball, loving ball, talking ball. But there's
3: the one um, I, I told you about uh, during the break. You know, we're gonna play tomorrow, I guess. But uh, that you know, Howie's. I have a little preview of it. Whoa.
2: Whoa, whoa,
3: whoa. Stay tuned then, because
2: I can't wait to hear the rest. But um, getting up and getting the player that you wanted, and I think Devontae Smith is going to be a stud. I've been saying for weeks, that's the guy I wanted the Eagles to get. And to get from 12 to 10, to be aggressive to get him, was so great. And the subplot to all this is even more beautiful. Because the Eagles traded with the Dallas Cowboys to get ahead of the New York Giants. And first, um, here's Howie on doing business with uh with the Dallas Cowboys.
7: Well, I, I knew I knew I knew we weren't gonna get um a favorable deal on the on the point chart. You know, I knew they weren't they weren't gonna like take a low ball offer to do it. I knew we had to come strong and and we did. You know, we, we came with a third round pick and um obviously where we are, we want those picks and we don't want to trade picks. But we felt it was that important to get this player and this person. And, you know, I, I, you never,
2: I guess, wanted to, even though I don't care about doing a deal with the Cowboys, whatever. You do the, the, the best deal for your team. But um, to move ahead of the Giants was just so beautiful. And here, here's Stephen Jones uh, f- talking about making that trade from the Cowboys' perspective.
6: No, I think we were sitting there at 10, and obviously we didn't want to go too far back. Because uh, we did uh, really like Micah, and we didn't want to get in a position where uh, we didn't think we could get him. So Philly had called, and we knew what they were trying to do. It was obvious they were trying to get in front of the Giants and uh, and get the player they were after. And really felt like that, uh, you know, we knew what they were going to take. They would told us what side of the ball. And then felt like we'd get through the Giants and still get our player and pick up a third-round pick.
2: And the great part about this is normally I don't think the Cowboys would be so, you know, would be so, you know, inclined to make this move. But Stephen Jones, and it, it's smart looking at it from Dallas's perspective like this, and, and this is what was so perfect about it for the Eagles, is Dallas really couldn't say no if it was a good offer um, because uh, of the fact that it was either the Eagles or the Giants.
7: You kind of think that even if they didn't take Devontae Smith, like he was going to be in the division anyway, he
6: was probably going either the Giants or Eagles. Exactly. We thought he was going to be one place or the other. And that's the thing
2: where it's like, OK, well, normally I don't think they'd want to give the Eagles the player they want. But it's like, OK, if we don't give the Eagles the player they want, he's just going to go to the Giants anyway. So we might as well just move back two spots and get a third round pick. It was a good deal from Dallas's side.
3: Yeah, and they probably perceived the Giants to be better anyway.
2: Yeah, I mean, I honestly would disagree with that. But, you know, long term, I think the Eagles are a bigger threat than the Giants.
3: Yeah, but if you're Dallas right now, you would be more fearful of Devontae Smith going on that team than you would the Eagles, I think.
2: Right. And I've always said I'm in the minority in this city because I know Cowboys hate, you know, all this stuff, the the win twice a year, as long as you beat the Cowboys twice, all this stupid crap. Um, But I hate the Giants more because of when i've grown up you know cowboys have been a non entity and that's why i guess i don't have the same level of i mean i hate the cowboys i just don't really respect them so they don't really occupy that much time in my Renfri. in my mind they don't live rent free in my <laughs> mind uh because i just they're they're kind of a they're kind of just a joke to me like i like the 90s were like the last time cowboys won a super bowl was what 96 i was like 9 years old like I don't know. It's just not yeah. – they, they've been kind of irrelevant to me. Like, when my heyday of growing up watching football, watching ball, was 2000, 2002, 2003, when the Eagles-Giants rivalry was was great. I mean, that was one of the best rivalries in, in, in football at the time. And to, to screw that team over is just so beautiful, and especially that – that disgusting Gettleman. Oh, man. It's just so great. Here is Dave Gettleman uh, talking about the Giants' trade back and whether uh, they were pleased with how it all played out. So, uh, <laughs> we made a trade
12: back. It was, it, was, it was obviously it was too good an opportunity. It added too much value. And we felt very comfortable with where our board was. And we felt
2: comfortable with who, who would be there, who would be available in that slot. So we made it. It's just so great. You can feel the anger coming from Gettleman because the Giants absolutely. And it had been reported for weeks. Like the Giants were zeroing in on Devonte Smith. Like they couldn't have telegraphed it anymore. Exactly what they wanted to do. They wanted to pair Devonte Smith with Kenny Galladay. Did you Galladay. read
3: how, did you read how he's a brilliant smokescreen? No. He, um, so he made it known throughout the league that he was trying to trade up, uh, particularly with Denver, maybe some other te- Carolina, other teams in there and the idea from the other the other gms were they thought howie was trying to trade up to get a cornerback now it turned out howie wasn't actually trying to trade up that far cuz he didn't actually want the cornerback he wanted smith the whole time oh. so we, the smoke was to throw the whole league off make the league think he's going defense and then go smith
2: howie outsmarted everybody and, and like i mean you put howie in a mental in a game of mental Gymnastics with Gettleman. I oh mean, that God. is that not the biggest mismatch yeah, right. in the history of of sports? Uh, but here, so Giants end up trading back. They get Kadarius Tony, the receiver from Florida. Here's Gettleman uh, on on that pick. Kadarius certainly. Um, he, he's a good sized kid. He's strong. He can run. He catches the ball well,
12: and he's a, he's a very tough kid, and he's got return skills. So um, we were thrilled to, that he was there for us at, at that spot.
2: So that's where we're at. <laughs> yeah, you sound really thrilled there, Dave. Um, here's one more from Gettleman talking about uh, Howie trading up with the Cowboys. Howie's not afraid to trade with people with pe-
12: people in the division. Howie called me, and I told him. I said, yeah, I got no problem trading with you. You know, it's, it's, it, 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 it's a business deal. That's what it is. It's a business deal. And one hand washes the other. So obviously Dallas was happy with their return. And, you know, so they made the trade with Philly. It's
2: not a big deal. <laughs> I love picturing Howie and Weidel just, you know, sitting in the draft room and how he's like, hey, watch this. I'm going to call Gettleman just to bleep with him. Just, just, to me- just to let him know that I'm calling around. And, you know, Gettleman answers the phone. He sees that 215 area code and he just starts sweating, knowing that Howie's going to jump up and get his guy. So beautiful. Um, get, get, I'm surprised Gettleman even knew, uh, you know, how to, this is the first time he's ever traded back, I believe. So that's where we're at. Um, and, you know, Gettleman's one aspect of it, but then you get to this other guy. And then I, you know how much I can't stand this fraud. This Joe Judge, Mr. Six and 6-10, we're going to win six games, then we're going to whine and cry about the integrity of the game. And this is what's so great. The Eagles have screwed him twice now. You, they And it's all connected to the Eagles getting Devontae Smith instead of the Giants. Because if the Eagles don't t- tank Week 17, well, I guess they could have still gotten him. They may have gotten the ninth pick. I, I don't know how it already would have played out. Um, But the Eagles end up getting a future first-round pick by tanking that game, then get up to number 10 and get the player the Giants wanted. Uh, here's Joe, uh, Joe Judge on his take on the Eagles-Cowboys trade. Look, trades happen a lot. Uh, Norman doesn't have within division, but hey, look, the enemy
10: of my enemy is my friend. So, you know, they made a move that worked for them, and it was a good business move.
2: It was, and it's great. It is like the Eagles just messing with this team now. Um, And I I just saw this in the system. This was a Giants fan the other night after the draft, and this is pretty great. Um, Here's this Giants fan uh, going nuts on what the Eagles did. So great. The Giants uh don't get Devontae Smith. The Eagles do. Uh the Cowboys are in the middle of it. And it's it's a beautiful thing as somebody that hates the New York Giants. <laughs> I love I really do love listening to Gettleman. And I, the funny part about it is the Giants actually like lucked into a decent trade. Like they actually like Gettleman's just sitting there and he's like. Well, oh, now I don't don't have my play anymore. What do I do? You know, uh, and he decides. I guess I'll just move back with this team who wants to offer a trade. Um, we will never do that as long as I'm the head coach of the New York. Oh, this fraud. I mean, shut up. Uh, it's just these
3: guys are crazy. They
2: are. They are. They are awful. Like they really are. Like that organization has no chance to be successful long term. None. With. Gettleman, Joe Judge, and Dan. Who would you rather have? The Defense Mike? is good. Gettleman, Joe Judge, and Danny Dimes, or Howie Siriani and Hurts? I'll take yeah, yeah, I'll Howie. take Howie Siriani and Hurts every time. You're just taking it because of Howie, though. I am. Yeah, I don't like the other two. I mean, D- Danny Dimes, get out of here. They're they're making the mistake of doubling down. But on Actually,
3: him. I like. I like two of the three on the Giants. I only like one of the three on the Eagles. But that one is so much
2: better than yeah. Gettle- Gettleman. Gettleman is such a, such a clown. 215- he's a
3: good GM. He know he's not. He's terrible.
2: 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. 215-592-9494. Got some other stuff to get to as well. We we got to get to this sound from uh, Washington Wizards head coach Scotty Brooks, who made one of the most absurd statements I've ever heard. Uh, we'll get to that. Uh, when we get back here and if you want to get in uh, we'll get you in the next segment as well 215 I'm Tom Kelly Sports Radio 94 WIP Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly in for Big Daddy Graham. Special edition of the Lapover Show coming up a little later on. I'll be speaking not with Al Morgani. Al, I guess, needed a break from me today. He's too tired of the nonsense. But we will be speaking with John Johnson. John so we'll, Johnson. We'll talk to John a little later on for the uh lap over show um sure we'll have a, an interesting discussion we'll like to get john's take on some Sixers related topics for sure considering yeah. that bench atrocity to start the fourth quarter
1: last night
3: uh you know as john knows even when al's out al does uh host the lap over show or uh, does host the something show he uh he, he welcomes hosts john and, the something show yes yes Wow. John does most of the talking, but he does have uh, some. He, does he
2: chimes in? Yeah. Okay, nice. So I'll uh, I'll make sure to be listening to that uh, on my way home. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. Following the last segment, you know, way to set up here. I can see through the glass, um, see what Mike Angeline is doing. Right as we went to break, Mike received a phone call and types up on the board, A name I was very happy to see. And I can't wait to get his take on this. Eagles, uh, just total, total domination of the New York Giants in the draft. Adrian, how do you feel about how everything went down last week? (laughs) Hey, look.
13: Y'all needed to have a good draft way more than we needed to have a good draft. I think we, I mean, our team was a little bit more seasoned than y'all team. We beat everybody in the division last year. The team that won the division, we actually swept them. Uh, I think our best player didn't even play half of the year. So when you got Saquon coming back, you got Daniel Jones another year under his belt as, as man, our quarterback. Um, I think then we just a little bit more season. I think we did a lot of stuff on the season. So y'all most definitely had to have a good draft. And the move that y'all made was a great move. I mean, y'all needed a receiver. Y'all got a, y'all got a receiver. Now the whole thing is this. Who's going to throw in the ball?
2: Now, Adrian, well, before we get to that, Adrian, I want to get – I want to get, how like, how did you feel at that moment? Because you're sitting there, and you're probably thinking, okay, we're one pick away from Devontae Smith. Did you know, you must have known, the second that that trade was announced, that the Cowboys were trading out, because the Cowboys weren't taking a receiver, the minute the Cowboys traded to the Eagles, you had to know that that dream was dead, didn't you? crazy over Smith. Like, oh not, Of course not.
13: I mean, I'm really not. I mean, I, I'm really not. I, I, I feel as though that, you know, we addressed our wide receivers and we addressed our wide receivers, in the, we addressed our wide receivers um, following the offseason. I mean, we picked, up a, we picked up a guy that's been in the league that can play, can catch the ball. I like Galladay. I
2: do. I like Galladay.
13: Yeah, it's already proven. I mean, I mean, this guy, I mean, he was great in college. Um, but, hey, look, I mean, you got a lot of guys. I mean, when the last time a Heisman Trophy winner and he's been good and approved. So I mean, I mean, I mean it's was, it was really a hit or miss. So I mean, it, it was good for y'all because that's what y'all needed. I mean, we really didn't need it. Like that didn't really break us because.
2: I don't know. You sound stage, you sound defeated to, to me, Adrian. Huh? You sound defeated to me. You you don't have your same uh, you don't have your same level of enthusiasm. <laughs>
13: I mean, I, I mean, I'm good. I'm good with everything that went down. I mean, I, I'm pretty much good with. it. I, I think we are gonna win the division this year. I think we actually gonna make a run uh, in the playoffs this year. So I, I'm, I'm pretty good with my football team. Football-wise, we're in a way better shape than y'all are.
2: <laughs> are you still? You still feel good about? You still feel good about Danny Dimes?
13: Oh, definitely. How can you not? I mean, how can definitely.
2: you not? He might he might be the best quarterback in the division. Jalen Hurts might be the best well then no Dak Prescott's the best quarterback oh, in the division. I mean, I come didn't on. even announce
13: him as y'all quarterback yet. It Yo, might not even be him. Joe Flacco's not. Got Mike Collins. He won he went watching so bad and he went Wilson. Like I mean y'all
2: guys come on,
13: man. Y'all y'all got a quarter, y'all still got a question mark at quarterback.
2: All right, Adrian. So, well I mean
13: and then let me talk some sixers, right? Yeah, 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 you,
2: yeah. No, no. Know. Give me your thoughts on the Sixers.
13: So, I mean, if we'd have picked Harden, right, we'd have probably had to give up Cybo, probably had to give him up, probably had to give up Maxie um, and Ben Simmons. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what else they probably wanted, but whatever they wanted, we'd have had to give up a lot. As far as now, players,
2: that's probably, they're probably the players you would have had to give up.
13: Yeah. Now, now now you look at it, we'd have had to give up them players. Now we don't have them players and we don't have Harden because Harden is going now with a hamstring problem. So – and we still we have been in first place. If we'd have picked Harden, we'd probably be in the same situation in first place 90% of the season. So and we still there, and we still got them players, and we still got our young players. So I, I think not trading Harden was, you know, I mean, you know, I never was really crazy about the Harden thing anyway. So uh, I just think that the six we have to get the we have to stay in first place so we put ourselves in a pretty good uh, position at home for home court advantage throughout the playoffs. And if we have home court advantage throughout the playoffs, man, I'm telling you. We we coming out of the east. Yeah, We're no. We're coming out of the east.
2: We're no, definitely. Adrian, I feel the same way. Like if if they get the 1 seed, I would probably pick the the Sixers to go to the finals. Like it, whoever gets the 1 seed has such an easier road. Than everybody else, and yeah, it's it's really important they get it. And uh, were you as frustrated as me that the bench couldn't hold that lead and the starters had come back in? I mean, that was ridiculous.
13: You know, you know, I wasn't frustrated because I've not seen this. I've I seen this happen. It happened. It happened like last week. Sometimes it, it's been happening. I'm not crazy about what Shake has been has brought to the table since the All Star break. Um, I I just think that this team is built from five to seven. And then after that, we really don't have nothing. Like we really don't have anything. So I think we need all our players healthy. I don't wear. I'm not worried about it because some guys ain't gonna really play in the playoffs. I mean, you ain't gonna see right. no Mike Scott. You ain't gotta worry about oh, no Mike please. Scott. Uh, I, I would like to give, give our starters some some rest, but I mean it is what it is. I mean we got it now. I mean our starters been getting rest through the whole season. All our starters has been out, so now they gotta play.
2: Yeah, no, I get you, Adrian, and I appreciate the call, man. Thanks. I mean, the Sixers starters, I'd actually say, have played more than most teams, honestly. And, um, and I know, uh, you know, Mike, Mike types up that it happens to every NBA team, and it does. But, Mike, I mean, they had a twenty point lead that in five minutes went to one. Like, I and, and let's face it, you're not playing against. You're playing against a team, a Bulls team, without Zach Levine, without Vucevic. Their best player is Kobe White. Like, I I don't – the bench should be able to hold that lead better than they did. I agree. Yeah, so – yeah, thanks for having right. me on. Well, I was uh, expe- expected a little more of a more of a take there. Uh but it's good to hold leads. Yeah. yeah. No, it it is good to hold leads. So that that's the uh you know, the the end determination. That's the official official stance of the overnight show. Let's go to Mike in Norristown. What's up, Mike?
4: Hey, how's it going, guys? Not good bad. Morning. What's going on? Uh I'm just disgusted with Hallie Roseman and the draft. After the first round was great. Phenomenal pick. I well, I think Devontae Smith is going to be a phenomenal player for us. But after that, I mean, we took a broken-down guy in the second round, two torn ACLs, all kinds of injuries. We could have got Asante Samuel Jr. We could have got that linebacker from Notre Dame. Like, how he needs to go, man. It's just – it's just
2: ridiculous. Needs to go. I mean, that's a little overboard, Mike. Now, now, in regards to Dickerson, what bothers you more? Is it the fact that he – is it the injury factor, or is it the fact that he's an offensive line?
4: It's an injury factor thing. Injury factor. Like, they drafted him to be Kelsey's replacement. He might not even make – he may not even be healthier than Kelsey this year. <laughs> what
2: what do you mean he might not be healthier than kelsey this year or he, he might, might a,
4: he might get broken down and be hurt before and kelsey would be playing in the game and dickerson's on the sideline. he might not even be playing well
2: yeah i mean they're not they're not drafting dickerson to be the starting center this year i mean no, kelsey's going to be on
4: the offensive line as a plug probably I mean, he, play he, anywhere on the line
2: he's right he's going to be a backup i mean the short term he is going to probably be a backup at the three interior offensive line positions and long term he'd probably be kelsey's replacement
4: you don't think that, like, if Brooks breaks down or Dillard ain't going to be able to well, play yeah. or Mayada that he's going to be in there and then he's going to get hurt as well? Like, that's what I'm thinking.
2: Well, I mean, I don't, I'm don't. i not sure if he's going to get hurt, but if they evaluated it and they believe yeah. he's going to stay healthy and they think he's going to be an all-pro player, that wouldn't be worth it to, to,
4: to take that risk? I don't think so. When we could have got that Sante Asante Samuel Jr. to play the opposite side of Slay. Like, I think that Sante Samuel Jr. could kind have of came right on, play the opposite side of Slay, and been to shut, help our defense shut down and be a, a top-five defense right from the jump.
2: Yeah, no, I hear you, Mike, and I appreciate the call. I mean, that this is the thing. Like, I and not I, how defense works. No, they wouldn't be a top-five defense. And I like Asante Samuel Jr., but... This is the thing. Like, I I think Asante Samuel Jr. has a chance to be a a solid corner. Like, he's not—I don't think he's going to be what his dad was. Like, his dad was a great corner. Like, I don't think that's what he's going to be. And if you have a chance to get a potentially great player, even if it involves more risk, or you could get a guy who's going to be good, I'd rather take the risk and and go for the guy who who has the potential to be great. An offensive line is a position—I mean, you have a guy— on your roster, in Brandon Brooks, who has sustained several serious injuries and has come back strong every time. It's a position where if a guy does have an injury history, there is more potential to overcome it than, you know, a corner for, you know per se. And if the Eagles, and I know the medical team has had their issues, but if they truly believe this guy's going to stay healthy and th- that he can – have a long career in the NFL, it's worth it because of the potential that he has and the type of player he is when he is on the field. 215 592 9494. If you want to get in, when we get back. We'll get to this ridiculous sound um, from Scott Brooks, the head coach of the Washington Wizards, on who I think is the most overrated player in the NBA and one of the most overrated players in NBA history. So we'll get to that when we return. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly in for Big Daddy Graham for another segment here before we uh, do the lap over show. Talk to John Johnson this morning filling in for Al Morgani, Time to squeeze in a few more calls. If you want to get in, 215-592-9494 is how you join the show. Um one thing we forgot to do, Mike, we still gotta to do tomorrow. We gotta to grade my mock versus Mel's mock. I don't know if you did you find Mel's
3: last mock? I see, I don't I don't have to pay to get Mel's mock. I'm trying to find it. Oh,
2: I have I have a uh, I have an in for ESPN Plus. Okay, so if you just want to print it out tomorrow, I'll yeah. I'll so gladly,
3: uh, review it.
2: Okay, sounds good. So I'll pull that up because I did make the declaration before the draft, the first round that I I would get more perfect picks than Melt. So that includes team and player. Now I I already know I have a scenario where I have the right team and the right player. But the wrong slot does that that still counts, right? Yeah,
3: I would say so, I okay, mean, I don't know, maybe we do a thing like you get a point for the player, you get a point for the slot, and you get a point for the team. you know I thought
2: let's just do let's just do player and team, like you know you get the right player chosen by the
3: right team. How about we do that, okay? Is that sounds like it helps no? you. So, okay. <laughs>
2: well, I think it would help me. I mean, I'll yeah, reevaluate. you should get a I'll...
3: handicap. He's an expert. So, yeah, yeah. But
2: I, I will print Mel's mock out, but I won't examine it because I don't want to know. It's already over. So, okay. no. But I don't want to know if I beat him or not. Okay. I would like you to uh, y- you to have that information on the air, and we'll we'll figure it out tomorrow. Okay. How about you just print it at one thirty tomorrow? <laughs> sounds good. I'll do that. I'll do that, <laughs> and we'll uh, we'll go from there. But speaking of Mel, did you notice? Like I think him and McShay really don't like each other. By the way, I think they really uh, get bothered by each other. Like by round three of the draft, they were like an old married couple. It looked like they were about to throw down on set.
3: Uh, I, I guess. I, yeah, I, 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 I just, I it. just
2: don't think they really like each other that much. I, I'm not. You, you know, I'm not a Mel Kiper guy. I think he's kind of a fraud. Um, but uh we'll we'll see if I we'll see if I beat Mel tomorrow uh on the show. So, uh that'll be a reason to tune in. But if you want to get in 215-592-9494. Uh some of the things we've been talking about tonight, um been talking about the Eagles and whether you have more confidence in Howie Roseman now. Following this draft, following this offseason in which the Eagles came into it in a very difficult situation and Howie isn't Absolve the blame from that i also think it's pretty clear that he was not the only reason for that and in many ways wasn't even the primary reason for that i mean there are a lot of issues that contributed to the eagles being as bad as they were last year the quarterback i think was number one when you have a guy who doesn't really want to be here isn't invested um you know isn't playing well and allows that to affect him mentally, that's going to infect the infect infect and affect the entire team um Doug Peterson, I like Doug Peterson a lot. I don't think he did a great job last year uh in general and how he's involved in this as well. I don't think the organization handled the limitations that they dealt with from covid as well as other teams did, and it contributed to this perfect storm of disaster that was the 2020 Eagles season. But what we have seen in the last four months is this front office set this team up for long-term success to open up the cap space after next year, to have more draft picks, more draft collateral than anybody in next year's draft. Uh, I'm looking forward to during next season. Every week we have basically like three Eagles games to watch. We'll have the Eagles game, Dolphins game, Colts game, and, All of these things uh, are going to directly affect the Eagles next year. And I don't think it's a lock that Miami and Indianapolis go to the playoffs. I'd actually say it's probably more likely they don't. I mean, I certainly don't think both of them will be in the playoffs. Um, And you could end up with, what, three top 20 picks next year. That would give you so many options to do whatever you want to do. If Jalen Hurts is good, then great. You ride with him long term. You can use these picks and that money to address the rest of your team. If he's not very good, you can use that stuff to go get a quarterback, trade up if you like one of the guys coming out, trade for a veteran, um, whoever becomes available. Because as we know these days in the NFL, uh, quarterbacks become available all the time out of nowhere. Matt Stafford, potentially Aaron Rodgers, Carson Wentz. You know, they're going to be options for the Eagles. And what Howie has done in the last few months has been pretty incredible. So we've been discussing that. Talking about the Phillies, their 4-3 to win over the Brewers. And I give Joe Girardi credit for doing what needed to be done and benching Reese Hoskins. Because what Reese Hoskins did on Sunday night was unacceptable. It was, it was a 10-year-old, mopey, little league move. And it cost the Phillies that game. Um, he puts Hoskins on the bench. He ends up having to come in when Matt Joyce uh, gets ejected. Uh, but Vince Velasquez, a good start. Hector Narris, uh, a tremendous, tremendous 40-pitch save. And the Phils get the win. They will try to get back to 500 for what's like the 10th time this year tonight against the Brewers. And the Sixers um, continue to keep their hold for the time being on the one seed. They beat the Bulls, 20-point lead, dwindles down to one in the fourth quarter. Uh, they have to go back to all the starters, but the starters get it done in the end. Really good game from Tobias Harris, uh, but Joel Embiid clearly tired, and you know the Sixers need to find ways to get the starters rest. Very frustrating that this bench unit was not able uh, to just sold away a 20-point lead. The Eagles are going to need to do a better job of that in the next couple weeks uh, to make sure they are getting Simmons, and Embiid, and Harris, the adequate rest. And tonight... Um, big game for the Sixers with Milwaukee and Brooklyn going head to head, and you need the Bucks to win that game. Give the Sixers more breathing room in this one seed, critically important for them as we head down the home stretch. Two one five, five nine two, nine four nine four. We'll get to the Scott Brooks sound that I teased in a minute here. First, let's go to Mike and Warminster. What's up, Mike?
10: Hey man, I just wanted to talk about the Eagles draft. Sure. Uh, I I honestly give it a D. D. Yeah, I I think it sucked, man. Uh, aside from the, the Smith pick in the first round, I mean, what, what are they doing out there, really? Like you're taking another wounded player, right? And then you're you're going D line again when obviously there's there's other needs on the team that need to be addressed that needed to be addressed for a long time now. And I understand that. Look. We're not going to get every single need we needed in the draft this time around,
13: but how long
10: do we keep going with these same needs in the draft and not address them?
2: Well, what like what did you want them to do, Mike? Like, what what specifically do you want them to do? Like, so, you win in the with, NFL by building through the lines. That's what they're doing. I
10: I understand that, but I mean, look at some of the receivers we have to go against in our division. Right? Why not go get a corner? that you can put beside Slay. Aside from Slay, who do we have, Maddox? He sucks. He's trash.
2: Well, why are you going to force a need for a corner if there's not one there that you think is very good? I mean, but there was, though. You had Asante Samuel
10: Jr. Uh, Asan- who was projected late second, early third. Right, right? You're,
2: and you are number 37 in the draft. Why are you? If a guy's projected late second, early third, you're reaching if you draft him at number 37. Sometimes wow. you have
10: to reach, though.
2: That that's what got them in trouble the last few years.
10: But look, linebacker, you need a linebacker. The kid from Penn uh uh Notre Dame was still out there, wasn't he? When he, they drafted
2: Yeah, they could have drafted him.
10: Right. I, I mean, mean p-
2: yeah, linebackers how, how long do
10: we go without linebackers on the Eagles? I mean, this is it's getting to the point where it's just frustrating because it, it it's it's like saying, yeah, we don't really care about these positions as long as we do this and this. Uh, we'll we'll figure that out later. But in today's NFL, you can't have that mentality, especially when you're going up such weapons in the
2: NFC. No, There's I so many weapons in the NFC East. I got you, Mike, and I appreciate the call. But that that's why they're drafting defensive linemen, so they can get to the quarterback. Like that's what it's about—is getting to the quarterback. The Eagles don't value linebackers that highly and i'm not gonna lie to you like i think that's the right approach i wouldn't value linebackers that highly either they're usually unless you have like an absolute stud like the bucks got devin white last year he made a legitimate impact that is so rare in this league that that happens
3: well i think the the guy they drafted from lsu is gonna be like a linebacker anyway so they did get one right and then they they drafted a cornerback mcpherson like, they hit all their knees. They got a, w- a wide receiver. They they shored up both lines.
2: Now, do you think, Mike, like, I think especially with Asante Samuel Jr., I think we're overrating him because of his name. Like, I I, I don't think people would be nearly right. as outraged the Eagles did not take him if it wasn't Asante Samuel Jr. I, I wasn't that impressed by him. He, he looked a little too tiny. He got beat all the time. Right. Like, I I mean, I, thought, I think he's going to be a good player, but, like, Landon Dickerson, and, yeah, there are injury risks, but if the guy's healthy – the The name you're hearing him compared to the most is Quentin Nelson. Quentin Nelson's the best guard in football. Like, Mm -hmm. if you can get a guy like that, that that's that's huge. And you look back at the 2017 Eagles, it is clear now when you look back at that team. I mean, look at their starting corners; they had Ronald Darby and Jalen Mills. Mm -hmm. Uh, Look at their starting receivers: Alshon Jeffrey, you know, Torrey Smith. You get Devontae Smith. That's obviously a massive upgrade. But the reason that team was so great was because they were dominant on both sides of the line and that's what they're trying to get back to and i think that's the right approach
3: we have all this evidence that like football is won by protecting the quarterback or getting to the other team's quarterback and like i don't know like sometimes i think uh it gets yeah try and make it too fancy and try and muddy with like other positions like that's like that's how you should try and build the team
2: yeah like and you know If you're looking, if you're drafting on your needs for the upcoming season, that's a bad way to go about it. Like, you draft for the positions long-term, the best players
3: at positions of importance long-term, and and that's what they did. But, like, other than, like, maybe a backup quarterback, like, what need did they not address? Like, show me where the needs are that they didn't address. Yeah, I mean,
2: like, I think people wanted them to come out with, like, a starting corner from the draft, and the odds are that's just not going to happen. Maybe they did.
3: Maybe McPherson's good enough to be one.
2: Right, and, like, the idea that... Well, if they drafted this Aaron Robinson guy, he'd be a starting corner. We no one don't know who he We, was. we, we don't yes. know that. I mean, you know, there's there's no certainty with this kind of stuff, and I'll take the guy with upside every time. Um, before we get out of here, though, I needed to get to this Scott Brooks sound because uh, Russell Westbrook um, is I, I having a decent season, I guess. I guess he had a bad start to the season. Um but he's kind of rebounded and he had a big game on Monday night uh I think he had what twenty four rebounds twenty one assists something like that um and a uh, good game and Russell Westbrook is a player that will do that incredible game will f- yeah incredible game true incredible game i am selling game. I'm selling him shit yeah that was that was a little uh a little dismissive but Russell Westbrook is one of these guys that'll fill up the stat sheet and uh, he, he's a good player he's a good player i'll say that um it's a but, hall of fame player okay uh, but scott brooks with his praise of russell westbrook went way over the top here. um here was scott brooks on where he thinks russell westbrook ranks in nba history as far as point guards are concerned
8: he's amazing i mean there's not enough i mean everybody's described him in so many different ways i've Been fortunate to see him for eight years. Do a lot of things that are pretty much superhuman at times. Point guards don't do what he does. He's no, they're not built that way. There, there might be some that can probably shoot better. There might be some that probably can do certain things better. But there's nobody in the history of the game that can do what he does throughout the stat sheet. I used to always say he's going to probably go down as the third best point guard ever but i think he's past one and he's going to go down as probably the second best and one is obviously magic he's going to what he does there's no point guard has ever done it nobody 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 the second best
2: point guard of all time I'm mike what's your reaction to that i mean that's rid- that's ridiculous Russell Westbrook as the second-best point guard of all time, he's never even been the best player on his own team. Well, except for that one year he was. He was the like, league MVP. Yeah, well, th- that was a year well, That was a year when Oklahoma City was just focused on getting him the MVP. So he took every shot, and, and you know, it's all he
3: did. He took, like, 40 shots a game that year. So what are you saying? If he didn't take all the shots and Steven Adams would have the best? Like, he was the best player anyway. Yeah, he was the best player on a terrible team. They went to the playoffs. Were they the eighth seed that year? No, they were like they were at the at least six. I mean, second best point
2: guard of all time. It's obviously but wrong. Like, it, it is wrong. Yeah, it is wrong. Thank you. Uh, here's more from Scott Brooks on Russell Westbrook.
8: For him to average four triple doubles in five years, what Oscar said about him was to me, that was real. He's doing MVP type things every game. He's an MVP winner. Every night on a, on the floor and off the floor, but if he was selfish. He would have had a a twenty 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 game, but he was very comfortable only shooting three shots at halftime. Not a lot of not a lot of star players in this league are comfortable only taking three shots at halftime. But you know I, you guys know how I feel about him, and, and it's not because I think he's a cool dude and a in a great family. That's a big part of it, but I see what he does every day. I see what he does every day to our to our group, to our locker room, to all of our young guys. It's not easy coaching young guys and that's what he does. We're lucky we got two really high level leaders in Brad and Russell to help those young guys develop and still wanna, you know, win games along the way. And we don't believe in rebuild. We fought through a lot and but the guy's uh, the guy's gonna go down as you know one of the biggest winners in the game and that position. What he's done is, you can critique him all you want, but you, you the guys that the guys that matter to me. I mean that guy's is as high high as the level as a player in this league has ever seen.
2: One of the greatest winners in the history of bad. Like the guy's a loser. He is a losing player. Russell Westbrook makes teams that he is on worse. He does. I mean, wh- wh- how, did, how did Houston do it if they traded Chris Paul for him? How'd that go for them?
3: Was he that a good trade? trade?
2: It was, it, it, probably not, but, you know. How, how's Washington? Right. they improved. They're really fighting for that ten seed in the Eastern Conference. God, this they were year. terrible last year. They, they
3: were awful. Yeah, they were
2: also without John Wall. Like you add Russell John Westbrook, Wall, great. Stop. and he takes the one. Look game. at John, how's John Wall doing I didn't, this year. I never knew you were such a Westbrook stand. No, it's I'm just this guy stand. Russell Westbrook's so overrated.
3: Brooks obviously exaggerated both those comments. It's. I don't know. I just I don't know. Like you don't have to exaggerate it the other way now. Like oh,
2: okay. All right. Well, I just I, I mean I think he is a very over. I think he's an extremely overrated player. I think he's one of the most overrated players in you know the league in the last twenty years. makes him doubt. overrated?
3: Like I think everyone generally agrees he's not a top ten player. He's
2: the reason Kevin Durant left Oklahoma nah, City.
3: He's among them. He's on. He's on He the, is the yeah, reason he's among it. I mean, he wouldn't... If The he reason was, he left was the existence of the Golden State Warriors. Scotty so let's Brooks is he's so that.
2: unselfish. If he was unselfish, he would have won a championship with Kevin Durant. Based on what? The reason they lost is because he had to take every shot. He had to be the star.
3: No, they lost because they went up against LeBron James, no, Dwayne Wade, on. and Chris Bosh. No, they didn't. No, I'm talking about later when they were had the 3-1 lead against Golden State. Okay, they lost to an even better team. A team that won 73 games. Because Russell Westbrook had to be selfish. He
2: that's couldn't I, be a that's team not player. what happened. It is what, it is what happened.
3: That is... No.
2: That's how I saw it. You saw it wrong. Well, we can we, we we'll talk, we'll discuss it more tomorrow. But I think he is incredibly overrated. And Scott by is, who? Alex, Scott, and by the way, Scott Brooks, drink a cup of coffee or something, man. He's low energy, low energy. I,
3: just, I would love Brooks. to know who's over other than Brooks. Who's overrating Westbrook? I mean nobody because everybody right, else exactly. knows he's not very So he's not, so he's not good. Good.
2: overrated. Well, Scott, that's the, that was why I played the Scott Brooks sound, because Scott Brooks is overrating him. He, but everybody else rates him properly, except you. You
3: and Scott Brooks overrate him. He's probably like the 18th best player in the league. Is no. that fair? No, 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 no. He's 17th, not,
2: not 16th. top 25. You're wrong. Not at this point. You're just wrong. All right, we'll, well, we'll talk about it tomorrow. I'll, I'll come up with 25 better players than Russell Westbrook tomorrow. I look forward we'll to And we'll see if you can uh, dispel my list. Uh, So that'll do it for this show tonight. Next up, we'll uh, talk to John Johnson for the lap over show.